Good evening. Thank you for waiting patiently. Um, we are going to begin our six o'clock regular meeting. So now I'd like to call to order the regular meeting of the Berkeley City Council for Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. And before we proceed to a roll call, I will ask the city clerk to play the COVID-19 meeting announcement recording. In a hybrid format. Pursuant to Government Code Section 54953E and the State Declared Emergency, this meeting will be conducted through teleconference and Zoom video conference, as well as in-person participation. The COVID-19 state of emergency continues to impact the ability of council members to meet evening, safely thank in you for person waiting and presents risk uh, to the health of attendees. Six o'clock regular meeting. Please be mindful that this meeting may be recorded. So now as I'd like any to call to order the regular meeting of the Berkeley and all City Council. Of procedure and decorum apply for persons participating by teleconference, video conference, or in person. To access the meeting remotely using the internet, join from your device using the URL indicated on the agenda for this meeting. If you do not wish for your name to appear on the screen, use the drop-down menu and click on Rename to rename yourself to be anonymous. To request to speak, use the raise hand icon on the screen. To join by phone, dial the number indicated on the agenda and enter the meeting ID. If you wish to comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, press star nine and wait to be recognized by the chair. In-person attendees are required to wear a mask that covers their nose and mouth for the duration of the meeting. If you are feeling sick, please do not attend in person. Thank you. I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Councilmember Kesterwani? Here. Taplin? Present. Bartlett? Here. Harrison? Here. On? Present. Wengraff? Present. Robinson? Present. Humbert? Here. And Mayor Aragin? Present. Okay. All members are present. Thank you very much. So I want to just acknowledge um, on our published agenda is our land acknowledgement statement. We do read this at the beginning of our um, uh, be uh, our first meeting each month. And I just want to acknowledge that, um, that we still are on. Um, the ancestral and unceded land of the Chichenio speaking Ohlone people. We encourage all members of the public to read our land acknowledgement statement. So we'll now proceed to ceremonial matters. And we have a rather lengthy ceremonial agenda for today. And uh, the first order of business is the ceremonial swearing in by our city clerk, Mark Newmanville of the newly elected and reelected city council members. Um, and I wanna just once again, congratulate our new Council member from District 8, Mark Humbert, who I've actually had the pleasure of knowing for 10 years. And it's just with great um, excitement that um, you're joining us on the City Council to continue your many years of community service here in the Berkeley community. And we look forward to working with you um, over the next few years. And I want to also congratulate our reelected council members, Rashi Kesarwani from District 1. Uh, Rigel Robinson from District 7 and Vice Mayor Kate Harrison from District 4 and our re-elected City Auditor Jenny Wong, who will also be taking the, the oath as well um, on Zoom as well. So I'd now like to turn the floor over to our City Clerk, Mark Newmanville, to administer the oath of office. Thank you very much, Mayor. Um, so we have uh, a few of our officials um, participating remotely and a few here in person, but we'll, we'll all do the, the oath together. Uh, 
So uh, you can go ahead and raise your right hand. And we'll do uh, I, state your name. I, uh, uh, I, Kate Harrison. Do solemnly swear or affirm. Do, do solemnly, solemnly affirm. affirm. That I will support and defend. And I will support, I will support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of California. And the Constitution of the State of California. Against all enemies. Against, against all, all enemies. Foreign and domestic. Foreign, foreign, and, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. To the Constitution of the United States. To the, to the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of California. And the Constitution of the State of California. That I, that, I that I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any mental reservation. Without, without any mental reservation. Or purpose of evasion. Or, or, purpose, or purpose of evasion. And that I will well and faithfully discharge. And that, and that I will well and faithfully, faithfully discharge. The duties upon which I'm about to enter. <laughs> the duties upon which I'm about, about to enter. enter. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations to our, our new colleague, uh, Councilmember Mark Humbert, and our reelected colleagues, Councilmember Kisarwani, Councilmember Robinson, and Vice Mayor Harrison. Um, and I want to give each of our, and our city auditor, Jenny Wong, and I want to give each of our um, newly elected officials an opportunity to say a few words. So why don't we start first with uh, uh, Councilmember Rashi Kesarwani from District 1, if you'd like to um, um, say any words of thanks or um, uh, to your campaign staff or um, or to the voters. So I want to turn the floor over to you. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, um, uh, Mr. City Clerk, for administering the oath and all of your work during the election. I want to thank the voters of District 1. Uh, for uh, believing in our record over the last four years. And I'm incredibly honored to have an opportunity to serve um, in this second term. And I wanna thank my, my, my son and my family for supporting me uh, throughout the last four years, but especially during the campaign. And I especially wanna thank my legislative aide, Beth, my treasurer, Jill, all of the volunteers who um, knocked on so many doors, thousands of doors <laughs> uh, with me so that we could have one-on-one -on -one conversations with neighbors about the work that we are doing uh, to build a more inclusive community, a safe community and a healthy community. Thank you very much. Thank you very much and congratulations once, once again. Okay, I uh, wanna go next to Vice Mayor Kate Harrison from District 4, if you'd like to say. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, I too would like to really thank the public, um, not for this election, but for their patience during COVID and for everything we've been through in the last couple of years. I think it's a remarkable testament to our um, city that we have so many people vaccinated and such a low case rate and such patience and fortitude as we struggled through this, this um, incident. And many, many, many thanks to our city staff who rearrange their entire operation to make us safe. And I just want to thank you for that. Also, many thanks to my campaign staff, Aaron Dean, my treasurer, 
Sarah Sarami, my deputy campaign manager, Ruskal Kayangan, the other deputy campaign manager, and the many volunteers that helped me throughout the entire campaign. Um, but again, most especially thanks to the public in District 4. Um, you have always shown a great deal of patience and ability to understand the complexities of government. And for that, I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll go next to Council Member Roger Robinson from District 7. Thank you so much. I have so very much to be grateful for, and there are so many people without whom I would not be seated here today. You know, when I ran for office in 2018, I did it because I believed in a few things. You know, I believed that the students and young people of this city had a voice that needed to be lifted up. I believe that the Bay Area housing crisis is a canary in a coal mine and spells the death of the California dream if we don't act. I believe that global warming and climate chaos will destroy the futures of families across the planet. But most of all, I believed in Berkeley and believed in Berkeley's role in this fight. And I still believe it. I believe all of it. It gets me out of bed in the morning and keeps me awake during those marathon council meetings. I value the work that we get to do. It's not easy, but most of all, I love the people that I get to do it with. So thank you all and to the residents of Berkeley. Thank you for your trust and to my family and friends and staff and campaign team and colleagues and classmates and supporters for making it all worthwhile. My service continues and the work goes on. And congratulations to my elected and reelected colleagues. Thank you. Thank you very much. I wanna turn the floor over now to uh, Council Member Humbert from District 8. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you fellow members of the City Council. Um, it's always hard to follow <clears throat> Council Member Robinson. <laughs> he is a hard act to follow. But I wanna first of all, thank all the voters in District 8 who reposed their trust in me. I really appreciate that, and I'm honored to serve on your behalf, and I hope to justify the trust you've placed in me by um, by submitting your vote um, um, uh, uh, for my election. Um, I want to thank um, all the members of my campaign staff, um, Eric Panzer, um, uh, Lori Drosty helped me a whole heck of a lot, um, Ben Gould, David Dixon, uh, Laura King, and all the volunteers that knocked on doors for me, and the people who um, hosted house parties for me. Very, very grateful. I want to thank my beloved, um, lovely wife, Karen, and my daughters, Kelly and Franny, who were there to support me. Um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's just a great honor to, be, to be, have been elected to serve the, res the, the residents of District 8, but also to serve the citizens and residents of the city of Berkeley. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, we're so excited that you're joining us on the council and really look forward to your, your leadership over the years to come. Um, now I want to turn the floor over to our city auditor, Jenny Wong, who was also uh, recently reelected to office. Thank you so much. Um, I, I just wanted to thank the voters of Berkeley for giving me this opportunity again to be your city auditor uh, to advance accountability and transparency in Berkeley government. I just want to say that I'm so lucky to have this job and very excited to do this again. I get to work with a wonderful staff um, who really, you know, the workers are the ones who power this um, this work and this organization. And so I want to thank all of the staff who we've audited. Um, thank you for working with us together to improve city government. Um, and finally, to my family, including my parents who are in Taiwan, um, my kids, 
and especially my husband, um, Mark, my, I call him the first gentleman auditor for continuously supporting me and encouraging me. Thank you. Thank you very much and congratulations and thank you for your ongoing service to our city. Okay, so that completes our um, ceremonial swearing in of our newly elected and reelected um, city officials and congratulations once again and thank you for stepping up to run and serve our, our incredible city. So we'll now proceed to the next item on our ceremonial calendar, which is the presentation of a proclamation recognizing the 50th anniversary of the City of Berkeley Zero Waste Commission. And I want to turn the floor over to Councilmember Hahn. I have the proclamation here. We will be sending this to um, the commission chair, but Councilmember Hahn will read the proclamation. Thank you very much. And uh, I want to uh, thank and acknowledge um, the chair of the Zero Waste Commission, Chris Tornay, and other Zero Waste Commission members who may be um, in attendance here. Uh, the proclamation reads as follows. Recognizing the City of Berkeley Zero Waste Commission's 50 years of groundbreaking environmental leadership. Whereas for 50 years, the Zero Waste Commission has been at the forefront of the Zero Waste and Recycling Revolution creating a visionary path for Berkeley and helping shape a global movement around sustainable waste management practices. And whereas through its activities, policies, and community activism, the commission has fostered Berkeley's culture of waste reduction, reuse, and recycling. And whereas the Berkeley City Council voted on April 18, 1972, to create a solid waste management commission charged with developing a plan for the reduction of solid waste. And whereas in 1976, the commission wrote its first solid waste management plan leading to the city of Berkeley's adoption of a first in the nation 50% recycling goal. And whereas in 1983, the city took a bold step forward by building a new recycling center near Gilman Street and closing the Berkeley landfill on what is now Cesar Chavez Park. And whereas the commission played a key role in developing and implementing partnerships between community conservation centers, the Ecology Center, Urban Ore, and the city of Berkeley, providing innovative locally-based waste reduction services. And whereas the commission has continued to push the city to be a national and international leader on solid waste reduction, ending the use of throwaway plastics and recycling. And whereas in 2005, the city council unanimously adopted the commission's recommendation to set a 2020 zero waste goal and to rename the commission as the Zero Waste Commission to reflect this new commitment. And whereas the Zero Waste Commission continues to play a vital role in groundbreaking policies to advance its mission through outstanding leadership and innovation. Now, therefore, be it resolved that Mayor Jesse Adeguin does hereby declare the city's gratitude and recognition of the Berkeley Zero Waste Commission for 50 years of visionary leadership, advancing the cause of waste reduction and environmental stewardship for Berkeley. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, I don't see a representative from the commission present on Zoom. 
Um, but we did want to do this recognition um, and we'll, we will send the proclamation to the chair of the commission, Christy Tourney. And uh, thank you, Councilor Han, for requesting this recognition. And thank you to all the members of the Zero Waste Commission who serve our community to continue our leadership on reducing and ending waste in the city of Berkeley. And so many of our, um, of our I think, forward-thinking policies, whether it's banning styrofoam to the single-use disposable legislation, the new plastic bag legislation we adopted, was a result of not only advocacy by our commission, but also uh, environmental leaders in the Berkeley community who are also working to um, pass policy, not just in the state, but uh, work to address the global issue of waste and waste reduction. Um, so thank you very much. So um, sadly, um, there were uh, two individuals that we wanted to adjourn our city council meeting in honor of, and I wanna now recognize Councilor Hahn, who would like to um, adjourn our meeting in honor of Samuel Lepi Howard. Well, thank you very much, Mayor. And this one, you will all excuse me if I cry while I read it, and you may cry along with me. Samuel Lepi Hallward passed away on Friday, December 2, after a year-long battle with diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, a very rare and aggressive brain tumor affecting a few hundred kids each year in the U.S. Sam was 12 years old and in the seventh grade at King Middle School. Brain tumors are the most common cancer and cause of cancer-related death in children less than 15 years of age, yet research is woefully underfunded. As a society, we can and must do better. Sam was a bright light as a son, brother, grandson, cousin, nephew, dedicated student, and friend to many. He had an infectious laugh and unbounded curiosity. He was deeply kind and funny with impeccable timing when it came to telling jokes. He was an avid soccer player and loved magic tricks. He loved a good book, often carrying one with him to steal away minutes whenever he could. He graciously shared all the cutting edge science he learned with friends and family, and his smile was like no other. His parents, Kate Hallward and Michael Leppi, sister Lila, grandparents, Susan, Curran, John, June and Claire, the Hallward siblings and their surrounding community cared for Sam with deep love and tenacity over this past year. Sam and his family fought fiercely, pursuing experimental treatments at UCSF and Stanford that were ultimately unsuccessful. Everyone who knew him is heartbroken by the loss of this child who managed his illness with an amazing level of grace. Despite everything, over this past year of treatment and increasing challenges and discomfort, Sam still laughed with abandon. He loved playing with his friends, challenging himself and anyone who would play a video game, cards, or a board game with him. Even after Sam became so ill that he could not speak or move his limbs, he was able to communicate by tapping on an iPad to make very specific requests, like a creamsicle float. He was able to spend some of his final months making lasting memories with his family and the vast community of friends who loved him, from trips to the California Academy of Sciences, to visiting the seals he loved at the Marine Mammal Center in Marin, and playing with rescue kittens from the Milo Foundation. In his final weeks, his soccer team surprised him with 32 individually carved jack-o'-lanterns, 
lit up with his name, and his friends and former preschool teachers organized a flash mob dance for him in his backyard. Rest in peace, our dear Sam. We will keep you in our hearts forever, and we will push our leaders to do better to find a cure for childhood cancer. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I'd like to ask for unanimous consent that we adjourn our city council meeting in honor of Samuel Lepi Howard. Thank you. Now I'd like to recognize Councilmember Wangraff, who also would like to adjourn our meeting in honor of Jacob Harari. Thank you, Mayor, for this opportunity. Um, Jakob was born in Ludmia, Poland in 1932. That's what the Ukraine is now. At that time, Ludmia was a village of 25,000 Jewish residents. After Hitler's attacks, there were 70 residents, Jewish residents that remained, and Yaakov was one of them. Between 1941 and 1942, at the age of nine, Yaakov and his brother Rafi wandered from hiding place to hiding place, escaping the Nazis. After being reunited with his family, they all hid underground in a tiny space in the basement of a home for two years. Yaakov emerged from his trauma without bitterness or cynicism. In his adult years, he focused on resilience, creativity, ingenuity, and the goodness of people. He became a leader in the Jewish community here in Berkeley serving as president of Congregation Beth Israel in the 70s. Yaakov passed away last weekend at the age of 90. And in 2017, Yaakov was the survivor honoree of the city-sponsored Holocaust Remembrance event. Our condolences go to his wife, Rena, and their children and grandchildren, and to the greater Jewish community of Berkeley. Yaakov Harari's life will serve as an inspiration to us all. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I'd like to ask for unanimous consent that we adjourn our meeting tonight in honor of Yaakov Harari. Thank you. Okay, um, we have two other items of business on our ceremonial calendar today. And I wanna take this opportunity as this is the last meeting in which you'll serve in this capacity to recognize and thank our outgoing vice mayor, council member, Kate Harrison, for her incredible work this past year um, serving as vice mayor. Um, I just wanna personally thank you so very much, not only for stepping in to facilitate our city council meetings in my absence, but um, your advice, um, guidance and support this past year is critical in my work as the mayor um, and presiding officer of the city council. And I just wanna thank you so very much for serving in this important role. Um, and uh, helping step in to serve as the acting mayor as well at, at various times this past year. Um, and for your ongoing service and leadership, um, not only on behalf of the residents of District 4, but the entire city of Berkeley. So we do have a plaque that um, we will get to you. I don't have it here today. It is being made that will be recognizing your, um, your uh, service as vice mayor this past year. And I just wanna thank you so very much on behalf of the entire city council, um, for, uh, for your service and leadership. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. It has been a real honor. Thank you. And I wanna take this opportunity to acknowledge that uh, we just appointed a new vice mayor starting tomorrow, who is Councilmember Ben Bartlett representing District 3. So thank you, Councilmember Bartlett for 
stepping into that role and Councilmember Wangraf will serve um, in 2024. So thank you both. Okay, and I will I will personally deliver the uh, the plaque to you um, to, to thank you for your service. So last, um, it is um, bittersweet that we want to um, recognize that this is the last city council meeting in which our deputy city manager, Paul Budenhagen, will be serving the city of Berkeley. Um, he recently took the position to serve as the new city manager for the city of Emeryville. And um, while we will certainly miss you and are so grateful for your many years of dedicated service to the city, um, we're really excited for you in this opportunity um, to bring your years of experience, including here in Berkeley, uh, to serve our neighbors in Emeryville and to continue the partnership on the issues that are so important to our neighboring cities in these Bay, homelessness, housing, transportation. I know that we'll continue to work together. Um, so um, I guess I want to start out and I want to um, turn the floor over to my colleagues. And we have Mr. Budenhagen here and his family in the and this in the boardroom here at 1231 Addison. Um, you know, Paul came to us after um, years of service in uh, Contra Costa County and uh, took over our Department of Health, Housing, Community Services, which is one of our largest city departments and, and serves our city um, in a number of ways, not only our public health division, our mental health division, our housing division, um, our aging division, you know, these are frontline services that we provide our residents um, to promote the health and wellness and well-being of, of our community. And he has always brought um, dedication, professionalism, compassion, um, and um, and I think um, an open-mindedness and willingness to work and listen to everyone. And, um, you know, his commitment to our community's values and... Um, and, and, and as well, um, his visionary leadership, I think, has made a huge impact on the city of Berkeley organization and this city as well. So many of our key initiatives, whether it's uh, the implementation of Measure U1 tax, um, our uh, housing bond, Measure O, and Measure, our Measure P tax, our work on homelessness, our work to build and preserve affordable housing. Um, and then uh, he is often a... Um, um, unrecognized, but um, um, but important hero in our city administration and played a key leadership role to get our city through this pandemic. He he helped lead our emergency operations center, uh, uh, working with our city manager to help lead our emergency response to COVID-19. And I, I've said this to Paul, and I'll say it again, that you literally helped save lives in our community and helped get us through, I think, one of the most difficult challenges that we've ever faced and helped empower and organize and lead our whole city organization to respond to this pandemic. And we're just so incredibly grateful for your work. Um, there are so many things I could say, and I'll we'll certainly say more at your recognition this Thursday, but we didn't want um, this opportunity to go without having the opportunity to express our deepest thanks to you and um, our excitement for this new chapter in your public service career and um, a recognition that we will continue to all stay in touch and work together. And uh, we just wanna thank you so very much. So I wanna turn it over to my colleagues. I know that they're, actually I'm gonna go first to the city manager and then I'll go to the members of the council who I'm sure many want to give our thanks to our outgoing deputy city manager, Paul Boonhagen. 
So I'll turn over to our city manager, Dean Wings Ridley. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you, members of the council. Um, this is a really tough one for me as a city manager. Um, Paul has been a big part of the leadership here in the city. Um, he's been my thought partner, um, my go-to. Um, he's been my friend. I'm super grateful to him for his leadership, for his, his care for our staff, for all of you, for the community. He has a heart of gold and there isn't enough I can say about him. So I wish him the best. And on behalf of our leadership team and our staff of the city, we applaud him, we salute him for his amazing legacy here at the city. And I am profoundly great, I'm profoundly just touched to have served with him. So thank you for the opportunity to speak. And I'm a little choked up because this is a really, really hard moment for me um, for, with Paul. And um, I am um, very, very proud of him. So thank you so much, Paul, for your amazing service to Berkeley and for your amazing support of me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think many of us are trying to hold back our, our tears as well. Um, uh, just like the city manager, it's um, it is like I said, it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet that um, you you are moving on to this really great opportunity in your public service career, but you will be very very missed by many of us here in the city of Berkeley. So I want to turn it now to my colleagues, I know many of whom want to um, say some words of appreciation to our outgoing deputy city manager. We'll go first to Vice Mayor Kate Harrison. Um, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor and Madam City Manager. Um, Paul is a government leader like no other. And I, I can say that because I've worked in government since 1984. So I've worked with people in cities and counties and other countries around the world. And I've really, really never met anyone quite, quite like you. Um, I'm saying you as if you're here. I'm not sure you're here, but um, I will use you. Um, your ability to bring people together, your incredible good humor in the face of astounding odds, as the mayor mentioned, the entire COVID um, standing up that team was largely due to you and the city manager. I can't thank you enough for keeping us, us safe. And just your general um, approach and problem-solving attitude, can-do attitude, has made such a difference to the city of Berkeley. Um, I know the staff are going to be crushed that you're leaving. Um, and, um, you know, we will be calling you <laughs> and asking for your advice while you're in Emeryville. And hopefully you'll call us and ask us what we think. And um, I hope to keep keep seeing you at the League of City and cities and other places. So um, I think when I first met you, I told you that I had, or one of the first times I met you, I told you I had a song for you that went wonderful, wonderful Budenhagen, because that's really how I feel. So thank you, Paul, and um, we'll be seeing you and best of luck in your future and best of luck to your family. Thank Thank you. We'll go next to you, Councilor Hahn. Thank you very much. I just want to start out with a really wholehearted congratulations to you. You have more than earned the role of city manager 
through your incredible service and leadership. And I am really excited for you that you have this opportunity to have your leadership recognized in this way and to actually take on this role that you have so wholly and fully earned. So I really just, I can, I could definitely cry and I already have, um, but I guess I, I, rather than send you off with my own deep sadness at your loss, I want to send you off with my congratulations and my full recognition of your leadership and its value and the fact that it needs to be recognized through your moving to a position like this. So um, I, when I think about you, three words that come to mind for me, integrity, love, and excellence. Your integrity is something, forget about public sector, I've rarely met anyone in anything with the integrity that you have your love for the community, your love for the work, your love for, I don't know, your love for getting it right um, and your devotion to the work you do and the people you serve are unparalleled and excellent. What you do is excellent. And so I wish you uh, only great success and happiness as you move forward in your career. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Robinson, followed by Councilmember Bartlett. I can tell this is going to go poorly because Dee's remarks already brought me to tears, so I will err on the side of brevity. From one St. Louis boy who came to Berkeley for an education and stayed for the people to another, congratulations, Paul. And thank you so much for your your service to this special place. You have been a true public servant. Uh, maybe you've even redefined that phrase for me a little bit and have been such a big part of my journey here. And you know, when people ask me what I, I enjoy about my job, I, I usually tell them three things. You know, one, making a difference. Two, free food. Uh, and three, our incredible city staff. And so thank you for all you've done for the city team. You know, as a as a leader of the team, but really more so as a supporter of the team. And a little selfishly, thank you for all the ways that you have made me feel supported in this work in big ways and little ways each and every day here. Uh, I am so grateful to you, so consumed by excitement for you and consumed with a fury at the city of Emeryville, but I will get over that. I will get over that, I promise. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Bartlett. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Oh, Paul, Mr. Budenhagen. <laughs> you know, it's been quite a quite a journey. You know, these last number of years watching your career develop has been just so exciting to see. You know, we've become good friends. Um, you have been just a, an exemplary, exemplary person, uh, a full spectrum leader. And you have taken complex issues and delivered them. You've held the line when they should have fallen. You've, you've demonstrated, you know, stick-to-itiveness, creativity, leadership. 
uh, you know, you've just been excellent and you've been a really wonderful inspiration and a mentor to me and I uh, look forward to your success and I'm going to see you around town. And it's, 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 it's one side note, I just want to say, I mean, I, I, was, I was told you, you pay your dues. You're going to do great things. And it's why I see you as you do this. I didn't know that Emeryville was a was an incorporated city. Uh, I didn't <laughs> I didn't know that, Paul. So I guess it is now. Um, and I'll see you uh, down there. Please, if you can, if you in your new role, if you don't mind, uh, could you help us get free parking at that little mall they got over there? Uh, that'd be nice. <laughs> and Paul, brother, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm so proud of you, and I'll see you very soon. Thank you for all your support. You've delivered for the community time and time again. I got your back forever. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Wangraff. Um, so, Paul, of all of the city um, managers and deputy city managers that I've worked with, you are the most special. You, um, your humanity and your humility, your sensitivity and your love of people that those are the qualities that I think really, really stand out for me. Um, your love of poetry and your love of pickles. Um, it's hard to say it all, but I really wish you the very best in this next chapter. I know that um, our relationship and our respect for each other will survive your transition. Um, and I wish you a healthy holiday as well. Thank you, Paul, for all of your service to Berkeley. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Taplin. Hey, Paul. Uh, sorry, I couldn't be there tonight. I stayed home, so I so I couldn't cry. Um, but thank you so much for your leadership, your service, and for your friendship. Um, and thank you for your patience and your hum and your humor. Um, and on behalf of the residents district too, thank you for for uh, every time we uh, miss someone's trash pickup, every time we um, had to fix a broken light. Uh, thank you for for being so responsive. Um, I I wish you the best and congratulations. Um, Emeryville shares a border with with district two, so I'm sure I'm sure we'll still be in touch in one way or another. And I look forward to sharing more poems with you and hope we can. Continue catching up, and I hope to see you at Price Fighter. Thanks. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Kisserwani. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor, um, Mr. Budenhagen, Paul. Um, I uh, when I think about you, I think of three words: integrity, um, hard work, and good humor. And um, I, it's just been a joy uh, to be able to partner with you to improve our city. We did a lot in District 1, and I just want to uh, remember three sort of pr major projects that you really supported me on in particular. One is um, negotiating with BART so that we can, we will eventually see homes at the North Berkeley BART station, and that was a major, major effort with uh, support and incredible leadership from the mayor and Councilmember Bartlett, but you were really there making sure that we stayed on track and we got the work done by the deadline in state law. And so I'm really indebted to you for that. Another memory 
you know, we, we are not afraid to cite homeless housing and services in District 1, and we had a major community meeting in advance of the Golden Bear Inn funding coming to the council, and you were there with me, and we were explaining why this was important to neighbors, and I'm just really grateful to your support and other members of our city team for helping us see that through, and we now have people homeless people moving into their permanent housing with services at that location because of the work that you did and the support that you provided to me. And then finally, as others have mentioned, over the last three years now, the pandemic, the work that you did in our emergency operations center, um, again, we had district one stepping up in a major way, but with, with you, with you sort of guiding me and, and, you know, we were able to get a lot of services and supports uh, provided to our community. You know, I think of the trailers that we stood up so quickly, the house where we had homeless people, vulnerable people living um, on, on Fifth Street, I believe it is, um, the, the vaccine clinics. The COVID testing, I think the COVID testing is still there at the adult school, um, all of that. And we take for granted our incredibly low mortality rate in the city of Berkeley. I think it's one of the lowest in the state, perhaps. And that was really a testament to what you did with our city manager, with all of our staff stepping up. And um, I, I just, uh, I, I, don't, I don't have tears of sadness. I just have incredible joy. Uh, for what you're going to do and accomplish in the city of Emeryville and just know that we are cheering you on and supporting you. And if there's anything that we can do to help, you know, we are always here. Thank you very much, Paul. Okay, we'll go next to our city auditor, Jenny Wong, who I also believe wants to say a few words of thanks to Mr. Boonhagen. Hi, Paul. Um, thank you so much. I just I just wanted to say something really quick. Um, it has just been an incredible pleasure to work with you on so many things. And, you know, when I think about um, the time that I've been able to spend in the city uh, with you as deputy city manager, the things that come to mind is that you you are just one of the most humble people that I have ever met. You um, you don't mind doing the work, being behind the scenes. Um, and you know, you you do it because of your the love that you have for this community. And I I'm just so honored that I got to work with you. Um, I I, you know, you're just you're always responsive. Um, on weekends when I've texted you and asked you about, you know, an issue, I, you're, you're responsive on the weekends during the day. So I'm, I, you know, I, I promise I won't text you on the weekend. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to say that it was just been such an incredible pleasure to work with you and that, you know, this is our loss and Emory Mills gain. And um, I hope that, um what you gave here, um, I, I'm sure it will be a, a long lasting um, legacy because so many of us learn um, a lot in our working with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, any other comments? 
If not, um, I'll turn it over to you, Paul, if you want to say a few words. Okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'll be very brief. I just will say uh, to you, Mayor Aragine, and to the council, um, thank you for your leadership, for your vision, for your bold ideas, for your um, driving forward to make Berkeley a better place, for your engagement. Um, it's been an honor to work for you and to partner with you. To City Manager D. Williams Ridley, thank you for your for hiring me back in February of 2016. Um, when I came here, one of my colleagues said, I hope that your colleagues in Berkeley um, are fantastic. And they that has wildly exceeded my my wildest dreams. Um, and D, your leadership has been inspirational and so supportive of me, and I'll be forever grateful. Uh, to all the, the staff and the department heads and the rest of the staff in the city, thank you for your partnership, for your hard work, uh, for putting in, as the city auditor was saying, weekends and evenings and all the care that you all put into helping Berkeley thrive is uh, is amazing. It often is not seen, but it's felt. Um, so I thank you for that. Uh, I want to thank also my family two of whom are here today in the chambers. Thank you for coming. Um, uh, you know, it's when you, when you put in long hours, you sacrifice a bit of family. And um, I'm grateful to, to you all for your love and your support. Um, and I think love and support is really where I'll just end it. I've felt loved and supported by all of you, by all of you on council um, and you, Mayor, by Dee and Latanya and staff um, and that's something I value highly and I'll never forget it. I've learned a lot here, which I'll take forward to Emeryville and I look forward to partnering with you all in my new role and continuing the friendships that I've built with you here. So thank you all very much. Well, th thank you, Paul, so much for um, your dedicated service to this community, not just to the city government, but to the people of Berkeley. I know there are many people throughout our community who, um, upon learning about the news of your um, your appointment in Emeryville, were sad to hear about it, but uh, but I think are really excited for you. And I think you really touched the lives of so many people in Berkeley and have made such a tremendous impact um, that will be felt for many years to come. And uh, we look forward to being able to work with you in a different capacity to continue that work to serve the broader East Bay community. So thank you for being here and just thank you for, for all that you've done for, for our city council, for the city government, for our community. And thank you, Andrea and family for supporting him in all the work that he's done for Berkeley. Thank you. Okay, um, with that, um, bittersweet note, 
We will um, move on to the next order of business, which is um, city manager comments. I'd like to now turn the floor over to our city manager, Dee Williams-Ridley, who will be uh, making a presentation tonight. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And if I can have um, our Director of Human Resources, Aram Arias Mujin, um, on our presentation slides. Um, so Mayor and Council, thank you so much. And congratulations to all of you for your re-elections and new election. Um, so congratulations, I meant to say that earlier. Um, tonight, I want to provide a workforce analysis and update. This is a highlight of what we believe is a hiring crisis facing the city of Berkeley. This isn't just new to the city of Berkeley. It is a hiring crisis that is being affected, being felt across the nation, the state, and here locally. Um, so I'm gonna move into the presentation now, but again, this is, this is about both our national picture at a high level, our state picture at a high level, our local picture and the impacts that we're seeing. I wanna thank our HR director and staff and human resources, our department um, for their participation, as well as our deputy city manager, Latanya Bello, and deputy city manager, Paul Budenhagen. All of them um, put in a lot of time and effort in working on an update for you all on where we are as a city. Next slide, please. So um, just a little bit of introduction. Um, amidst the COVID era, the U.S. labor market experienced record-setting rates of job departures. This was a phenomenon that has come to be known as the Great Resignation. We reported on this in the past as well. In 2021 alone, the number of workers who quit their jobs totaled over 48.7 million. That's averaging over 4,000 4 million per month. Employers are now facing a labor shortage and hiring crisis amplified by a pandemic that has disrupted business and government services alike. Next slide. So what is the cause for this labor shortage? The cause for the shortage are several and, and overlapping. First, there has been a nationwide drop in labor force participation. The labor force has 3.5 million fewer workers than what the Congressional Budget Office had predicted in its pre-pandemic growth forecast. Secondly, even as the number of United States workers has decreased, the number of actual jobs have increased. There are now 15 million more jobs in the United States than there were 10 years ago. A third reason, is COVID. In terms of the number of lives it claimed, but also the long-term effects it's had on some patients and the reluctance it has engendered among some segments of the labor force that are questioning the return to the workplace. Fourth, there's been a higher rate of retirements and some tendency for earlier retirements. People are separating reasons separating service with their employers for various reasons. The fifth, contractions in the childcare industry. And we've seen this here locally as well as staffing shortages in nursing homes have hindered the ability of workers with family care responsibilities to return to the labor market. And the sixth reason is immigration rates have dropped in 2020 and 2021 due to travel restrictions occasioned by the pandemic. 
So causes for the labor shortage. Finally, the past two years have altered the very notion of what we call work. As employees have prioritized family time, they've reassessed their work structures, joined the gig economy, or pursued labor autonomy by embarking on their own business ventures. This spirit of entrepreneurship can be seen in the spiking number of new business applications that went from 3.5 million in 2019 to 5.4 million in 2021. Next slide, please. So regional recruitment challenges, and I, I'm gonna go through this regional state and then we're gonna get to um, our city, of course. At a regional level, the hiring challenges can be seen in the vacancy rates among neighboring public agencies. As the chart demonstrates, the stats for Berkeley track very closely with those of Oakland and Richmond. And they are a little better, better I would say, than those of Contra Costa County, as you can see, and far better than those of Vallejo, which is truly an outlier on this slide. Next slide, please. Thank you. Looking at Berkeley's unique situation, the first challenge we incur, encounter is that employee separations due to retirements and resignations have outpaced hiring in each of the past three years. This means that the yearly net loss of employees has not been stemmed, stemmed and our staffing crisis continues to worsen. When we analyze this situation for a root cause, we see that applications for employment with the city have dropped nearly 40% compared to pre-pandemic figures. Adding to this concern is the fact that nearly 20% of the city's workforce is currently eligible for retirement. And that figure will climb to 28% within the next three years. So with that, I'd now like to take a look specifically at how vacancies are impacting the delivery of services at some of the city's departments. We'll start with HHCS, which has a vacancy rate of 25% and a rather astounding rate of 39% among its mental health professional classifications. So vacancies in HHCS have immediate impact on our most vulnerable community members due to reductions of ongoing physical and mental health services because staff are carrying larger caseloads. Essential services are often delayed because intakes, assessments, and referrals take longer to process, and there are extended response times for calls, emails, and complaints. Vacancies also lead to reductions in service hours and closure of facilities on certain days, such as the Berkeley high school health center that closes at least one day per week. The quality of service suffers as well due to the decline to in employee morale and energy and increased absenteeism. Next slide, thank you. Without sufficient staff, the department has decreased capacity to manage existing programs or take on new ones mandated by state or federal regulations or council referrals. Opportunities to compete for grants are lost and current grants, which make up 75% of our HHCS budget are jeopardized due to challenging in challenges in meeting our grant deliverables. 
Finally, the sheer number of vacancies lead to more vacancies as departures increase due to overwork, creating a hiring churn. Let me turn next to public works, which is contending with a 15% vacancy rate. We see service impact due to vacancies across public works. With long delays and in installations of flashing beacons and other traffic calming measures, major infrastructure planning, missed cleanups related to un the unhoused, diminished storm responses, and the department's reduced ability to address this council's policy directions. We're also seeing the impact of vacancies on the department's morale, which is the lowest quarter of comparable public agencies. On that point, public works staff recently ranked filling vacant positions as their top priority to improve work satisfaction. Let's see, we'll now move on to fire. And here are the impacts um, in the fire department, the vacancy rate stands at about 24%. And in fire, the vacancies actually result in temporary closures of firehouses because certain, sh certain shifts cannot be staffed. The level of force over time is unprecedented in recent memory. It spiked from 275% in 2021 over, 20, over fiscal year 20. Our police department. The police department, we're seeing a 25% vacancy. This includes 30 vacancies among sworn officers with three more about to depart and another 21 on extended or injury leave. There are 15 vacancies among public safety dispatchers with three or more on leave. The impact on um, vacancies on service for police, um, this requires a number of things. Prioritization of response and follow-up to violent crimes over lower priority property crimes. It means reduction of investigative resources devoted to lower level offenses, such as catalytic converter thefts and auto burglaries. Delayed and possibly no response to qualify of life related calls. I'm sorry, delayed response to qualify of life, to quality of life related calls such as disturbances and welfare checks and unhoused related calls, such as sleepers and encampment cleanups. Challenges also come around staffing of focused crime suppression or safety patrols, holiday patrols, and enforcement on high fire danger days. The department is not currently staffing Apple overtime. And I wanna restate that because there's been a lot of question about that. The Berkeley Police Department is not currently, we are no longer at this time, staffing Apple overtime. We're also seeing in terms of um, impacts on vacancies are the reduction, the time officers can spend proactively identifying crime and, and public safety issues on their beat and taking proactive steps to address them. And then lastly, the delayed ability to respond to quality of life related calls such as disturbances or welfare checks. Um, and then the last thing, um, in terms of our, our, our sworn vacancies, this includes what you're seeing. The next slide, please. Um, this includes 30 vacancies among sworn officers with three more about to depart. And I think I shared that already, but I want to just make sure I um, have covered everything in police. Um, cuts in special assignments and staffing. Um, detectives in property crimes and homicide, our motor unit and our bikes, 
We will see limited officer involvement in policy work, new programming and community engagement. We're experiencing reduced officer oversight and supervision in the field. There's an inability to partner with regional task force to address public safety issues connected to Berkeley. And there's forced overtime, unplanned extensions of shifts and denial of time off. Um, and all of those are requests and all negatively, these things all negatively affect the officer wellness and morale. On the dispatcher side, um, dispatchers report that they are seeking positions with other agencies that afford opportunities for career growth and work-life balance. Staffing shortages can affect all call answer times as well as how much time a dispatcher can spend with a caller. The impacts of the vacancies require our dispatchers to work overtime. They are concerned about quality of life. And that is why the statement from some of them has been that they're looking at other jurisdictions that offer a better quality of life. The mandatory overtime is, in, is something that cannot be continued. Turning to finance, um, we see a 33% vacancy rate in our finance department. And um, here are some of the different impacts touching um, that touch on our risk and our compliance. So for example, we're responsible for ensuring the adequate liquidity to meet our city obligations. Um, if in fact our vacancy rates continue, we can see um, efficiency issues in our financial operations from our contract administrations and how we handle contracts with outside vendors um, to paying those vendors. We've had a couple of times here in the city, and I think maybe a couple of council members have experienced this as well, where vendor payments were late. That is not something that we are used to seeing here in the city of Berkeley. Um, finance report, financial reporting, we've been right at the cusp. Um, our finance director has done a stellar job, but we've been right at the cusp of getting some of these financial reports in on time. And then of course, regulatory compliance. Internal controls is another area that can be presented as a risk for us as a city. We have to maintain effective financial controls that require the segregation of duties between staff, but you have to have the staff in the bodies, in the positions in order to have those, um, those separations of duties so that people can have good checks and balances over what's occurring. Um, need staffing for adequate supervisory review. That's very clear. The ratio of supervision is always going to be an important piece for us. It makes for risk when we do not have it. Overpayments, mispayments, and fraud. The latter, we absolutely want and will um, stay away from, and that's fraud within our city. And so we have to keep our eyes on it to make sure that we have all the risks and internal control risks in place to oversee and ensure that that does not occur. Okay, finance believes are doing, and I would agree, the same work with fewer people. I know all of you are aware that our finance department um, in a number of positions, um, those hats have been worn by your finance director and other staff members within the department. They're seeing longer hours, increased workload and lower morale. And we are seeing more illness and use of sick leave across the city. Next slide, please. Turning to our parks, recreation, and waterfront department. So the reduction of parks playground sites from four to three in summer of 2022, what they experienced was the inability to restart their tots around the town or pre-K power play programs and a reduction of tots drop-in programs to two days a week. 
More than 50% drop in number of youth served by free Saturday swim lessons, and then more than 80% drop in the number of adults. You can see that our marina office closures are affecting our waterfront safety in terms of having enough staff there to man the, the location, a decrease of landscaping services for park turf in our median areas, and a loss of supervisors due to insufficient support staff. And then we have neighborhood services. Um, neighborhood services, and we're gonna talk a little bit, while neighborhood services does not have a direct vacancy rate because we are filled. Our department in the city manager's office for neighborhood services is full. But in neighborhood services, the vacancies happen to be concentrated in a critical, in a critical function, and that's animal care services. Um, the point here is that we have reduced field services in order to staff our shelters. But we also have an inability to support and grow the network of volunteers. And along with that comes low staff morale due to inability to take weekends, holidays, or vacations. So it's really important for us to consider in the long term looking at the staffing levels at our animal care services. All right, in response to these crisis conditions, we've already implemented a number of interventions and I do wanna to move to strategies and, and interventions now, um, but in response to these crisis conditions, we've already implemented a number of things. We have a new HR director, as you know, but we've also hired a new HR manager and an EEO officer. They've already implemented several stopgap measures, such as a hiring pro proctors to expand testing capacity, They've launched a weekly Berkeley Matters recruitment supplement to speed up vacancy announcements. It was usually done once a week. And redesigning exams for key classifications with multiple user departments as continuous. So we're designating classifications and jobs as continuous in hopes to pull applications down and quickly interview and move people into a hiring status. However, changing the city's current hiring trajectory and meaningfully bridging the vacancy gap will require strategies and initiatives that are far broader and have a far broader reach. For starters, in order to be competitive with other public agencies, Berkeley must become a greater online presence and launch a robust recruitment campaign across digital platforms. That includes social media, such as Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Streaming services, Spotify, and online ads, such as Google. The campaign would promote the fundamental message that Berkeley is hiring and would feature professionally designed visuals that tout hard to fill classifications in public safety, public health, and select civilian positions like mechanics and senior planners. This amplified recruitment effort would be supported by remote testing, online and on demand. That would allow us to reach a broader candidate pool since applicants would not be required to travel to Berkeley in order to test. They'll be able to test from their remote location with video proctoring to ensure exam security. This approach is a win-win for both the city and the candidate and promotes equity by relieving applicants of the need to take time off from work or family responsibilities and incur transportation costs in order to test on-site in Berkeley. Proposed um, interventions and salaries. 
Um, as you can see, one of the recommendations, and these are a number of interventions, and I just want to be really clear here that starting salaries for newly hired or promoted employees. We will be looking at um, gaining authority for a number of things. That is not this evening, but we will be coming back to Council at a later time. But I want to share with you and highlight some of those proposed inventions. Um, giving the city manager or giving the authority to establish starting salaries for new employees or adjust promotional increases after considering the recruitment difficulty, the candidate's level of knowledge and skill and experience, comparable internal salaries and budget, looking at annual pay increases and accelerated salary advancement, giving the authority to approve accelerated salary advancement for employees who provide exceptional work and exceed performance goals and expectations, Equity increases, giving authority to mitigate salary inequities within the same classification or remedy salary compaction. Signing or hiring bonuses. These are things that will help us to retain and recruit to fill vacancies that are difficult, especially in the following departments, health, housing and community services, public works, our fire department and police, finance, parks and neighborhood services. Referral incentives. Um, we will be looking at selecting classifications that pose recruiting challenges and also looking at educational incentives. The next area that deserves thought is benefits. What do benefits look like in the post-COVID era? Not just in terms of remote work, but alternative or flexible work schedules such as 980s. Are the city's vacation and administrative leave allowances competitive? with those of similar public agencies? What training opportunities can we offer prospective employees looking for career growth, particularly in niche, in niche classifications? What childcare options could there be for working parents? And how can we assist employees with their transportation and parking costs? So what are the next steps ahead? We intend to come back to council with a full report in January setting forth proposals in greater detail. These proposals will have budgeting components in terms of assessed costs and the need to identify funding sources. Portions of them will have to be negotiated. So we do intend to reach out to our labor partners to initiate those discussions. We hope to launch a fully developed recruitment campaign by March, followed by the effectuation of the various initiatives touching on salaries, incentives, and benefits. And then on a parallel track, we are awaiting a roadmap by Municipal Resource Group as to how the City of Berkeley can become an employer of choice. We're also anticipating the completion of a study by our own city auditor regarding retention. Both of these reports will inform our evolving and dynamic strategies. So let me end on a note of, of just optimism. Um, Paul leaving has, I'm going to try to be optimistic at the end of this presentation, um, but I, I want to be realistic though as well. With a robust recruitment campaign and salary incentive and benefit interventions, we can see some, um, some measurable gains in staffing. We can stabilize hiring processes within the course of this upcoming calendar year and ensure that hiring rates not only overcome attrition rates, but they exceed them, hopefully by 10%. We can expect to see strong dividends by 2024 when the hiring can outpace attrition by 50%. And then I believe 
hopefully within three years time, we can bring the city's overall vacancy rate into the single digits. It will take time, it will take resources and tremendous effort um, for both the council, our staff and all of us in our leadership roles to ensure that we are able to move beyond the space of what we call the great resignation. I wanna thank you for giving me all of this time this evening to present this information. This will not be the only time that we will be talking with you all. And this is not the only time that council will have to give input. You won't be able to give it this evening, but you'll certainly be able to give input at a later date and also with me during our one-on-ones. So I wanna thank you again for the opportunity and thank the, time, the staff for their time in the presentation. Thank you, Mr. Mayor and council. Thank you very much uh, to our city manager. And I'd like to re respectfully request um, if we could, the council can receive a copy of that presentation, um, we would appreciate it. And Councilor Han, we don't actually have discussion on city manager reports, but if you have any questions for the city manager, please direct them to the city manager offline. Um, so thank you very much. Um, so with that, we'll proceed to the next order of business, which is public comment on non-agenda matters. And this is an opportunity for any attendees either here at the boardroom at 1231 Addison Street or um, uh, on Zoom to um, address the city council on anything that's not on our agenda. If you'd like to speak to something that's on the consent or action calendar, we would ask that you hold your comments until we get to the consent calendar or the action calendar later on. Uh, Mr. Clerk, I know we have um, some speakers here in the board, four speakers, okay? So um, the way that we will conduct this um, public comment periods, we'll go to the four speakers who are here in the boardroom at 1231 Addison Street first. The clerk will read the names and then we'll go to um, five speakers on Zoom. Okay, the speakers for in-person are uh, Kit Saginor, Carol Morosevic, looks like Nilu, and C.T. Conrad. Okay, thank you. If um, any of those individuals can please come forward um, to the podium so we can start uh, public comment. And um, can we, are you gonna turn on the timer? Oh yeah, I guess we need to know that timer because the screens aren't working right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Kit Saginor. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Maybe I could go to um, just one mask instead of two. That might make it a little better. Thank you. Um, so I believe you all uh, got an email this morning from Moni Law, um, and I hope you that you read it. I certainly was, um, she included me on this and I read it. And it was very distressing to hear her report um, and just to summarize, she found that the warming center, which had been open on the weekend, was closed um, last night. And she assisted one particular individual in trying to find some other warm place to sleep. Um, and in the end, the best she could do was to find a tent for him. Um, it's most unfortunate that the warming center, even when it's open, only has space for 20 men and seven women. Um, and for it to be closed was very, very difficult. And I don't know if it's open tonight or what the story is going forward, 
I know this is not an opportunity for me to ask questions that you would answer, but you might have something on this. I know all of you to be very, you know, compassionate and caring people, and I'm sure this is as distressing to you as it as it is to others. Um, and I, I it's just really, the, those of you who are here tonight know how cold it is outside, and it will be even colder by dawn. I, I truly hope that this is on everybody's mind of something that that does need to be addressed as as quickly as possible. I, I do appreciate the work that you do, and you work all work very hard. And of course, there is no no end to the work that needs to be done. And this is an example of that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, after public comment, I asked our city manager to um, address the um, questions and uh, emails that we received around the winter shelter. I'll just say very briefly that um, we moved from an inclement weather shelter, meaning it was only open um, on very cold or rainy nights, to a 24-7 a, um, winter shelter. And in fact, tonight, when we vote on the annual appropriations ordinance, item 23, we will be allocating additional $120,000 to um, expand operations of our winter shelter. The issue last night was that there was limited staffing due to an illness um, on the part of Dorothy Day House's staff, which um, affected um, the operations of that shelter, but I understand the shelter's open tonight. And uh, after the conclusion of public comment, I'd like to ask staff to elaborate on this issue. And I appreciate all the concerns that have been that have been expressed. We share them and appreciate all the work of our staff and our nonprofit partners to to activate the shelter and keep it running. Ms. Morosovic. Okay. Um, as to Paul, Paul Budenhagen, you set the bar so high. Um, I, I at a Berkeley Neighborhoods Council meeting last month, I was surprised when someone mentioned Paul's departure because I didn't even know that person knew Paul. And yet she said to me later, everybody in the community that's active knows Paul because he's responsive, compassionate, his hard work, and his good humor. Um, and he's touched so many people's lives and been so supportive of us who have uh, who have worked uh, for efforts, and I know certainly supportive of of staff and council uh, on the, the winter shelter item. And again, you'll hear me talk about this in the context of the shell specialized care unit. It's again a reason why we needed twenty four seven crisis hub that does linkage that uh, will also do follow up. These things are going to happen. People are going to get sick. Um, uh, situations will happen, and we need people to fill in. It's not going to be enough just to have this $4.5 million for two years for the specialized care unit if everything isn't coordinated together, if there isn't someone to respond 24-7 to everything that happens uh, and also happens before the person is in crisis. Uh, we need this all pulled together. We put so much money into our providers, and we have to have 24-7 crisis hub that also addresses pre-crisis follow-up linkage. Um, and then, and so people know where to go so they're not bombarded with the, the emails that we have all seen 
over the last couple of days. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Clerk, there were two other um, cards that you yeah, had uh, read. C.T. Conrad and looks like Nilu, near Nilu. Thank you. Yeah, just um, come on up. Thank you. Is this, uh, can you hear me all right? Okay. Reset. Dear honorable city council members, I lived on Addison Street at Acton as a child and attended BHS and UC Berkeley. And I've stayed here because of the values that most of us share. Within the last three weeks, four horses have died at Golden Gate Fields. Two of these horses were two years old, which means that their bones were still soft and breakable. A horse's body does not mature until age four to six. One of these two-year-olds had a heart attack. In the wild, a horse can live from 25 to 40 years. These are just the most recent examples of what happens all the time in our backyard and in the horse racing industry. In 2020, I understand that the council sent a letter to the California Horse Racing Board to investigate the treatment and welfare of the horses at Golden Gate Fields Racetrack. Thank you very much. Ever since horse racing was legalized in California during the Great Depression in 1933, an average of 200 to 300 horses have died in our state each year, and Golden Gate Fields has unfortunately often had one of the highest mortality rates. Our homeless mortality rate is going down, but the uh, annual horse fatalities are quite high. Uh, I'm aware that the CHRB is the only government agency that oversees the horse racing industry. I've been attending their meetings for nearly four years, and my pleas for the horses have fallen on deaf ears. Their board is populated by two former jockeys, a former stable hand, a racehorse owner, and three other business people with very little interest in the lives and deaths of the horse of the racehorses whom they are charged to protect. Their focus is on the revenues, racing schedules, and the preservation of the horse racing gambling industry. Unfortunately, their authority overrules our local animal welfare laws, local municipal code, health and safety code, etc., that are put in place for the safety and welfare of our community, and by which all other businesses in the city of Berkeley are held accountable. The Alameda County District Attorney's Office ruled that Golden Gate Fields was a non-essential business at the beginning of the pandemic. However, Golden Gate Fields defied this ruling as well as the California Public Health Order and continued to operate despite being shut down and cited repeatedly by the Alameda County Health Department. Furthermore, the California Horse Racing Board refused to suspend or revoke their licensure or for that matter, the licensure of all of the other California racetracks who followed suit. The result was that not only more horses continued to die, but approximately 250 of the 300 workers crowded into the tenement-style living quarters above the stables contracted COVID-19, and one person actually died. I know I'm almost out of time here. Thank you. Golden Gate Fields became the biggest super spreader in the Bay Area. Now, here's the kicker. The specific... Berkeley Municipal Code violation that led to this epidemic and sickness and death in our town is 10.12.160, which requires that in Berkeley, a stable must be at least 50 feet from a dwelling. Ironically, this ordinance was passed during the Spanish flu epidemic in order to prevent another such tragic outbreak. And clearly, we are not learning from our history. This is a flagrant abuse and neglect of our system. And... Uh, um, 
and practices by the Golden Gate Fields and enabled by the CHRB in our town and of our constituents who include undocumented workers who live there and the horses who live and die, as well as workers in Berkeley at Golden Gate Fields. This cannot be allowed to continue in our city. There must be something we can do and something that you can do to stop it. With all the educated, intelligent, and compassionate people on this council, I'm begging with you to find a way Thank to you end very this much. horror. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I believe you did contact my office about this issue, so um, we'll follow up. Thank you. We do yes. need to go to the next speaker. Uh, good evening. Uh, my name is Nilufar Shambayati. I'm a resident of Berkeley, and I'm here this evening, uh, just like Ms. Conrad, to express my outrage at the regular and mostly preventable death of the horses in at excuse me at Golden Gate Fields uh, racetrack. I don't repeat what. Uh, Ms. Conrad said about this recent horrible um, incidents that led to four deaths within three weeks only. So far this year, 15 horses have died, but the owners of GGF seem to be immune from scrutiny of their practices and have no incentive to make even minor changes to reduce the abuse of the horses in their possession. It's such a disgrace to allow these tragedies keep happening in Berkeley and Albany. The two city councils must step in to protect these horses who never get a chance to spend even one day roaming freely in real fields and not in a race track called Golden Gate Fields. Horse racing is a relic of the past and must end because its business model is to maximize profit and keep the gambling exciting at the expense of the mental and physical health of the athlete horses. Until the industry is forced to close down, a few changes must happen, such as weeping and doping be banned, no training and racing horses before their bones are fully developed, which is usually around four, five, six. Making sure GGR doesn't kill injured horses until absolutely necessary and take the responsibility of treating and releasing them to animal sanctuaries making sure GGR does the same for horses who are too old or sick to race, banning GGR from selling unprofitable horses to slaughterhouses for human consumption abroad. Um, thank you so much for listening, and um, this will continue next year, and I hope we would manage to make inroads in this issue that is important to all of us, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, are there any other attendees here in the boardroom that would like to offer non-agenda public comment? Okay, if not, we'll go to uh, five speakers on Zoom. So we'll go to our first, and thereafter we will um, conclude this round of non-agenda public comment. We'll have another public comment period for non-agenda matters at the conclusion of our meeting. 
for anyone who's not previously spoken. So we'll go to Kelly Hammerkin. And there are 59 attendees, Ms. Hammerkin. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, on the same day I received uh, the email on the closure of the warming center, I received another. And that was the top four municipal employees in Berkeley in 2021 were all police sergeants. With three of those collecting over $330,000 with the top pay of $331,507. And the fourth was a mere $323,543. They were paid more than double the 137,849,000 to 156,930,000 ,930 average pay for the role according to the state controller's office. The highest paid sergeant retirement and health contribution is listed as $146,499 for a total pay of $478,000 with pay and benefits. From the outside, something is really wrong with this picture. Police department overtime pay has been an issue as long as I have attended budget committee meetings. I had the occasion to go to the 4th Street Apple Store for a device repair a couple of weeks ago and saw an officer sitting in his car doing what appeared to be um, on his phone. Uh, he certainly wasn't looking around. He was head down on his phone. This looks like a pretty cushy overtime shift used to pad salaries. What is going on? This calls for real investigation, and I hope there is follow-up on this issue. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, um, we'll go to our next speaker, Jacqueline McCormick. Um, thank you, Mayor Irrigan. Um, I appreciate this opportunity to speak. And while I am your chief of staff, I am speaking tonight in my personal capacity um, for the purpose of happy, of being able to give Paul Budenhagen some well wishes in his departing from the city of Berkeley. Paul, I don't do verse, so I'm not going to be able to stand up in front of everyone on Thursday and participate in your antics. But I wanted to share with you what a pleasure it is to work with you as someone on staff. Um, you are incredibly compassionate. You listen. And I think what's most important when we come to you with issues or problems or amazing ideas for policies that will really make a difference in the city, you don't look at us and roll your eyes and pat us on the back and send us out, out the office and say out of your office and say no. What you say is how. And that's the reason we get so much done in the city. And I am so very grateful for your friendship and the time we have been able to spend working so closely together. If there's a ray of sunshine in this, I'm grateful that you will continue that you will continue in your role as in Emeryville as serving on our Alameda County um, Mayor's Homeless Task Force, which, as you know, I coordinate, and I'm sure you're not going to have nearly as much to do in Emeryville as you do here in Berkeley, so I'm, I'm expecting you to be at every meeting, so at least we can stay caught up on things, um, but truly, I'm, I'm so grateful for your contribution, for your heart. You 
folks in the, you know, in this community don't know how many times I have texted Paul for things like the neighbor's dog who was locked in its house because he'd had a massive heart attack. And Paul managed to get someone there to care for it. And the woman on the corner who was homeless and in the cold. So Paul, your heart is huge and I hope we will see each other often. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Lee Lana Spindler followed by Ilana Auerbach. Uh, good evening, Council. Um, I listened in on the city's four by four meeting with the rent board on November 30th, and I'm concerned because of untruths spoken by rent board commissioners. This misinformation related to property taxes paid by homeowners, landlords, and business owners. The claim was that property taxes only rise 2% per year because of Prop 13. Now, I have looked at many Berkeley property tax bills because I track the city's inaccurate database of taxable square footage. County taxes are only half of the property tax bill. Half of the bill is for parcel taxes, which is several thousands to hundreds of thousands per parcel. Those go up per year in the range of 2% to 16%. Um, it's been up 12% four times the last decade, but consistently more than the rent board's AGA. Elected officials need to look at tax bills if they speak public, publicly about them and they should get it right. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll go to our next speaker, Ilana Auerbach, followed by Glenn Turner, and that will be the uh, conclusion of this round of not, uh, public comment on non-agenda matters. Ilana Auerbach, you should be able to speak. Yes, thank you, Mayor. Uh, good evening, everybody. I really want to appreciate this, the hybrid form of this meeting. I wish I could be there with you all Ilana, in person. Ilana, are you there? I, uh, can you hear me? We cannot hear you. You can hear me. Hello? Um, I can, can hear the Mayor from the hybrid. Uh, oh. I would suggest muting your mic and then unmuting. Can you hear me now? How about now? Hello? I can uh, hear you remotely. Hear you, I can hear you remotely, though, Mr. Mayor. I think there's a problem. Okay, I've, I've got my internal technical support here trying to help me. They can't hear me in the chamber. Should I turn off the... I think the issue is... Um, the sound from the Zoom is not coming in through the system here in the boardroom, but it is um, on the Zoom. So I've had this technical issue before, if I recall. So um, can you hear me now? I'm gonna. I can hear you. Okay, give me one second. I'm gonna try to do two things at once. <laughs> so um, all right. I don't think they can hear. How about now? Can you hear now? While we figure out the technical difficulties, um, those on Zoom can hear you, Ms. Auerbach. So why don't you okay, go Okay, I'll ahead. stop talking. Okay, I'll go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I'm we, appreciating... we have a technical issue with the conduct of this hybrid meeting. We're not hearing the audio from the Zoom here in the boardroom. But, but we can hear you on the Zoom. That's all that matters. 
Okay, so so I should go ahead. Okay, yes, please. well, just want to appreciate, I know there's technical difficulties. I appreciate you uh, trying to handle them as best you can. And I appreciate having the opportunity to be both virtual and in person. And those of you who are in person, thank you for being there. Um, I, I just wanted to comment a little bit about the what uh, the city manager just spoke about with the great resignation. Um, I know she was at a community meeting uh, some weeks ago, maybe several months ago. This was not my idea, but I thought this was a fabulous idea. We have a city full of brilliant retired people who are dedicated to Berkeley. We have commissions, right, that, that a lot of them have been, um, you know, merged with other commissions. And we have people, many, many, many people in our city who, who want to, to contribute and who have experience and expertise and are, you know, we're former professors and, and, and um, professionals in the various fields that our city is in need of. So perhaps in the interim, there is some kind of, let's get the community engaged and there's some kind of stipend that's paid to people, but for the next year, two years, whatever, some short-term interim, um, looking at those kinds of ideas so we can um, fill this gap and make sure that, um, People that people are being taken care of and we're, we're doing the business of the city that needs to be done. Um, I want to address what the city manager said about 30 vacancies. Well, those 30 vacancies for the BPD, um, the police department, those were just reinstated. <laughs> those are all based on an old staffing beat structure. I, I'm not sure when that was. That was before I was certainly involved um, in, in city uh, what's happening. Um, the, so it's years old. So we need a police staffing assessment and beat structure analysis to really determine how many officers do we need. And since the BPD is so stretched, why assign ceasefire to them? Also, given the Alameda Public Defender's comments at the council meeting a few weeks ago, the BPD doesn't have enough credibility with young people and marginalized communities to be able to effectively reduce crime and violence. Civilian agencies should lead this program. We should have community agencies leading this program so we can stand up this program, please council, as soon as possible. So we do not risk more gun violence and, and tragedy on the streets of Berkeley. So please take this program out from under the auspices of the BPD and get this stood up. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll go to our last speaker on non-agenda public comment, Glenn Turner. And Glenn, you should now be able to speak. Okay, um, you can hear me? The Zoom people can hear me? Yes, you oh. are. You can hear you okay. on Zoom. Yeah, I'm a longtime resident of Berkeley, raised my kids here. And I want to say that I was uh, shocked to hear that the uh, warming center had to be closed due to staffing. Certainly the point that the city manager brings up that there's about the big resignation, pretty much anybody who reads the news knows about that. And I think also that uh, the point that uh, the previous speaker, Alana, made that we have a huge resource of retired people in Berkeley that would be happy to help. I certainly would be and have uh, gotten myself involved with commission work and so on. And I think it's important that we have a strong community. 
that can deal with this. I'm sorry to hear that Dorothy Dayhouse was understaffed, but I'm wondering if we can't uh, pull together something um, in the interim before all the staffing issues are uh, dealt with to help relieve uh, Dorothy Day and other community groups by uh, allowing uh, and asking for uh, volunteers from the community to help with this. The other thing is, is that um, a lot of the need for extra police seems unnecessary when you think of uh, the fact that the SCU would be able to pick up some of the burden from them. Having a central unit uh, that the, one of the earlier speakers spoke of is also crucial. We should be setting these things up immediately and allowing uh, to take the burden of some of the uh, more official groups um, from them and putting them into community civilian, if you will, uh, use. And thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Um, that completes this round of non-agenda public comments. And we are going to take a 10-minute capture and a break to also um, allow us to address some of the technical issues here in the boardroom. And then we'll be back. And I'd like to ask the city manager at that time to address some of the public comments regarding the shelter. So we'll take a 10-minute break and then we'll be back.
Recording stopped. Okay. Is there um, one of the one of the panelists on the Zoom meeting? Can you unmute and talk to us? Mark, Hello. I'm here, Sophie. Yeah. Councilmember Hahn. Yes. Is talk. No, we can't hear you still. Can you hear um, me? This is Harrison. You can't hear me. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, so we can't hear the people on Zoom in the boardroom. Last time, everybody just went home and we just did it all on Zoom. Oh, that's right. Last time, Testing, yeah, the mics here work. Testing. Testing. Yeah, I'm speaking into the Zoom and I'm not hearing anything. Uh, 
Sorry, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again. Welcome to Zoom. Enter your meeting ID followed by pound. You entered eight one eight eight five seven six three three eight. This meeting ID does not exist. Please re-enter your meeting ID followed by pound. Enter your participant ID followed by pound. Otherwise, just press pound to continue. You have joined the meeting as an attendee and will be muted throughout the meeting. Testing. The host the would host like you to unmute, unmute your, your microphone. You can press star six to unmute. You are unmuted. 
You are Testing. There's still an echo. Um, can can uh, somebody on Zoom, uh, one of the panelists, unmute and say something? Hello, it's Susan. We can hear you. Okay. Can the panelists hear us? I can hear you. Okay, excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Are we starting again now? Okay, we are back in session. So if the members of the council can please rejoin us. We did complete public comment on non-agenda matters. Thank you for waiting as we work out the technical issues. Um, and I'd like to now um, uh, go to the city manager. Um, there were um, several public comments regarding the operation of our winter shelter. And we do have in the boardroom, Deputy City Manager Paul Budenhagen. Um, is it okay if we go to Mr. Budenhagen to address this issue? Can you hear me? We'll turn on that mic. I can hear you. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yes, we oh, can. Good. I can hear you. Fabulous. We're having a lot of technical issues, but it seemed like they worked out. Fabulous. Um, so I can make a couple comments that regarding the warming shelters. Um, for many years prior to COVID, the way that the warming the warming shelters worked was as an inclement weather shelter, where we would watch the forecasts and if there was more than a 50% chance of rain or 45 degrees or lower forecasted, we would open the shelter that night. And then we would have a network of folks who would get the word out and it would be staffed by um, nonprofits. Through COVID, we opened up that shelter. So it was a 24 hour shelter, um, partly because we um, depopulated the shelter beds because of COVID to like reduce people's proximity to each other. So we opened up that shelter um, so that it was 24-7 and it and didn't close during the winter. Um, and that was at Old City Hall. So currently now we have that shelter open at Old City Hall. It's run by Dorothy Dayhouse. Um, we opened it on December 2nd and it was, it's was it been open for seven of the nine days. Um, but they had some staffing illnesses and were unable to have it open for a couple of days. It, it is open tonight though, and we anticipate it being open moving forward. Um, in addition to that, um, we're 
opening an inclement weather shelter, sort of similar to how we used to do the inclement weather shelter pre-COVID at the North Berkeley Senior Center. Um, and that, that's the one that I just mentioned had been closed for a couple of days because of Dorothy Day House staffing issues. So that one we anticipate also um, pending funding being open, moving forward through the winter for inclement shelter um, when the weather gets cold or rainy. Um, we also have staff, uh, since it's a city building, we do have staff who are there overnight as well. Um, and those staff come either from the Health, Housing, Community Services Department or from Parks, Rec, and Waterfront. So we've done a lot of outreach and pulled staff together to also be present for the inclement weather shelter nights um, when we open those shelters. So um, those are the ways that we're supporting unhoused people through the cold and the rainy um, time right now. Thank you so very much um, for that update and for all the work that staff is doing to provide this needed resource for, for people who do not have shelter during these very cold and rainy um, days. So thank you very much. Okay, um, we have completed public comment on non-agenda matters. We'll now proceed to the consent calendar. And we did receive an urgent item from Councilmember Hahn. Give me one second to pull that up. This was sent by the city clerk this afternoon. Um, uh, one second. Um, it was actually sent by the city clerk this afternoon at 3.20 p.m. to the members of the city council, and I believe it's been posted on the um, agenda webpage so members of the public can access the document. So I will pull up the cover sheet. Councilor Rahan actually was a, used a different cover sheet, so I, I transposed it to the proper cover sheet. This is an urgent item. Um, so this item is entitled Letter in Support of Seating a Cherokee Nation Delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives. It's, it's an item being submitted under the um, immediate action provisions of the Brown Act pursuant to Government Code Section 54954.2b2. And um, the uh, justification for adding this item to the agenda as an urgent item is such that on November 17th, 2022, Speaker Pelosi announced um, that she's stepping down from leadership. Um, announcement was made after the House held its first hearing the possibility of recognizing a delegate from the Cherokee Nation. Um, uh, these late developments have caused indigenous advocates and allies to believe that Speaker Pelosi may move for an, a vote on the floor during a lame deck, duck session of Congress to uh, enable a delegate from the Ch Cherokee Nation to serve in the House of Representatives. Um, given the timing of such action, this is the last meeting where the council can consider expressing support and sending a letter to the House of Representatives in support of this action. And so this item is being submitted pursuant to Government Code Section 54954.2b2. And uh, this is the actual, um, let me actually pull up the item itself. Uh, it's uh, sending a letter to Speaker Pelosi, uh, members of Congress in support of the uh, seating of a delegate nominated by the Cherokee Nation in the House of Representatives. And um, uh, the letter is also provided as well as a justification for the item. So I'd like to move that we add this item to the agenda um, pursuant to Government Code Section 54954.2b2. Is there a second to the motion? Second. This is a procedural motion, so um, we will now proceed to a vote. The question before the Council is whether to add this item to the agenda. Um, 
pursuant to Government Code Section 54954.2b2, um, that there's a need to take immediate action, and the need to take action came to the attention of the local agency. Subsequent to the agenda for this meeting being posted, so the question is adding the item to our agenda this evening. Um, I'd like to ask the clerk to please call the roll of the motion. Councilmember Kesarwani? Pass. Uh, Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Aragin? Yes. And Councilmember Kitsarwani? Yes. Yes. Okay, motion carries. Okay, so the motion does carry. The item has been added to our agenda and is, it is being submitted as a consent calendar item. So thank you very much. Um, I'd like to open discussion on the consent calendar, if I may, and um, um, just note a couple things and then address some, some substantive items. Um, so on our agenda, we're actually taking some important actions. Uh, I'll note for the record, we are um, adopting our state and federal legislative platform, which will guide our advocacy in Sacramento and Washington, including requests for specific earmarks for um, specific projects in our community. Um, item seven is adopting um, a lease agreement with East Bay Community Energy for electric vehicle fast charging stations on municipal property. This follows up on actually action we took this summer to um, work with EDCE to partner with them to install rapid electric charging infrastructure on city property. Um, I wanna thank Vice Mayor Hudson for her work in advancing this initiative. Um, and then I just want to call attention, item 12 is actually the adoption of the contract with Bonita House as our specialized care unit provider. By taking this action, we will move ahead in 2023 to launch the specialized care unit. And then item 13 is reserving funds for bridge housing for pre-development of the development of affordable housing at the North Berkeley BART station, which is a really critical step towards building new affordable homes at our BART station and working to affirmatively further fair housing in our city. Um, I'd like to suggest that we, ad that we adopt item 18B, the companion report um, from the city manager on the measure FS budget recommendation for an expanded fire prevention inspection program. This was the recommendation of the Public Safety Policy Committee to adopt the city manager's recommendation. Thank the commission for its work, but to adopt the city manager's recommendation, which is to refer this to the budget process. Is there any objection to adopting item 18B? on the consent calendar. So please take that objection. Hearing no objection, I'll be action. Thank you. We'll proceed now to item 20. I'd like to note for the record that my office will contribute $500 to item 20, the Berkeley Holiday Fund, and encourage my colleagues to do so as well, so we can support um, low-income families this holiday season to provide um, housing assistance and assistance for other basic needs. Um, and just announce right now that um, this Friday, actually, at 6 o'clock at Cornerstone in downtown Berkeley, my office is hosting a, a holiday celebration. We encourage everyone to attend. You are recommended to wear a mask. Um, and um, we will be accepting food donations and donations to the Berkeley Holiday Fund at that event. Um, and then item 25, Councilor Kaplan, um, you and I had discussed moving this to consent for the purposes of continuing this to January 25th. Is that correct? Yes, thank you. 
And it's, we have a meeting on the 25th, right? Uh, Councilor Tappan, the meeting is actually on January 17th or 31st. Do you have a preferred date? I uh, prefer the 17th. Okay, so I'd like to ask, is there any objection to mooting item 25, the resolution supporting a trip reduction alternative for the BOC tennis and parking structure project to the consent calendar for the purposes of continuing that to our January 17th agenda? Is there any objection to that? Hearing no objection, there'll be action. And um, thank Councilor Taplin for um, agreeing to continue that. We're actually in conversation with BOC on, a, on an alternative potentially, um, which could involve the leasing of parking spaces in our Center Street garage to meet the needs of teachers and other school district personnel. Um, so this will allow us to continue those discussions with BOC um, and then come back in January to report to Council where we're at. So thank you. Um, that completes my comments. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll go next to Vice Mayor Harrison. Um, yeah, there's so much good news on this uh, agenda. I don't even know where to start. I want to thank the staff for their incredibly hard work on SCU. We did hear at the Budget Committee people comment on the, how long this has taken. I actually personally don't think it's taken too long. This is a major undertaking that is going to completely change the way that we work with people with mental health issues. And um, I'm just so delighted that we're finally at this point, and I just want to thank the staff for that. Um, item 14 is a very near and dear to my heart. This is to uh, deal with the Upper Ohlone Park Garden. This project was driven from the beginning by a commitment to ensure open space, but also recognition of, of Native peoples. Uh, the community asked for and got a chancellor's grant, and then we were able to supplement that. Thank you, Director Ferris, for your hard work on this project. And the Berkeley residents who helped us figure out how to create a beautiful, open, and accessible green space for everyone. I'm excited about the native plant garden that's going to be planted there around the already existing mural on the electric box there um, that celebrates the Ohlone people. The plants will reflect the Ohlone culture. Uh, Friends of Ohlone Park, thank you for taking on this responsibility and maintain, of maintaining the garden. So I appreciate the community outreach on that as well. Um, part of the vision of this project also is to provide a multi-generational space for people of all ages to enjoy. It's right across the street from the North Berkeley Senior Center. And I'm really hopeful that this will provide a model for what our public spaces can be, places for all to enjoy. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I was asked by the city attorney to mention that on item seven, just, just disclose that I'm a member of the board of EBCE for another uh, four hours before council member, vice, then vice mayor Bartley will be taking that on. Um, and I also want to ask if we can move item 19, the request of the state to consider zero emission vehicle parking spaces be designated on our streets for zero emission vehicles. Um, this is an effort by the um, Climate Commission, or well, what was one of the ages, uh, commissions that became the Climate Commission to um, encourage us to set aside parking for zero emission vehicles. And that needs, that requires state action. Uh, if we can move that to consent, I'd be grateful. Uh, it's on consent. Oh, it's on consent. I had that wrong. Ah, I don't know how I got that right. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, and then finally, I'd like to give $250 to item 20. And then I did have one comment on the legislative Thank platform. You. You're welcome. Um, on the ledge platform, I wanted to add one thing 
which is on page three of seven under funding priorities for housing, where it says support soft story seismic retrofits. I'd like to add the words and residential building decarbonization. That isn't reflected anywhere in the plan. So if you could add I, that. I think, be... I think that's an excellent suggestion. So it's saying that we support soft story retrofits and residential building decarbonization. I think that's mm -hmm. consistent with um, the policies and the programs the city of Berkeley has adopted. Colleagues, is that a, is there any objection to adding that to the legislative platform? Not hearing the objection, so we'll we'll add that by unanimous Great. consent. Thank you very much. Those are all my comments. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Wengraf. And thank you. Recording in progress. I'd like to be recorded um, as giving $500 to the Berkeley Holiday Fund. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Councilor Wengraf, is that all? Yes, that's all. Thank you so much for your support of item 20. Okay, we'll go next to Councilor Robinson. Councilor um, Humbert, if you would like to speak, either just raise your Zoom hand or raise your hand physically and be sure to, to go to you. Okay. You want to get in the queue? Okay. Okay, we'll go uh, next to um, Councilman Robinson. Hi. This is a hefty consent calendar. Uh, first, on the legislative platform, I really just want to express my gratitude to our staff and all the different department heads that helped tee up important requests here, uh, and especially to Nicola DeLuca uh, for representing us so well in Sacramento and DC. You know, we were just talking about how uh, Incredible our results were last year from our state budget advocacy and the $15 million that we were able to score for the marina. Uh, this legislative platform includes a powerful list of projects, you know, many of them with true regional importance and benefit that I hope will make for really strong cases. Uh, very glad to see the Pier and Ferry project listed there as well. And of course, the Telegraph Shared Streets project. Uh, well, I point that out for my colleagues and make sure you're tracking the ways that this project and conversation has evolved in recent months. Uh, as you may recall, we removed that project from the Southside Complete Streets project due to cost overruns. So now we have the vision, but as far as funding is concerned, we are starting from square one. We're gonna need $950,000, about a million dollars for design, the next stage of detailed engineering and design. Uh, right now we're looking at a guesstimate $9 million price tag for construction. But at the gateway to the campus, you know, we think this is the perfect opportunity and pitch to make to our representatives in Sacramento uh, to help close some of the gaps of that project and bring it into a bring it to fruition. Also really want to celebrate item seven that we were just uh, noting on the consent calendar. This is the agreement with EBCE. It's really fantastic and frankly I'm surprised and glad to see this move along so quickly. Uh, Councilmember Harrison, I know you've played a very active hand in this as our representative on EBCE's board and I know that time has come to an end so thank you for all your work there. On item eight, I want to express my gratitude to our staff in OED for shepherding the process with the Ike kiosks. Uh, we had a really delightful and quite intimate community meeting on Telegraph to discuss these final two locations for the Southside area at Telegraph and Blake and Durant and Bowditch, one of which is on the, the fifth block, the southern gateway to the commercial district, the other of which is right next to the Durant Hotel. You know, really smart locations. I found them useful before and glad that the bid there is really enthusiastic about them. On item 12, the contract for Bonita House and the SCU, I have nothing constructive to add here, really. I just want to join my colleagues in celebrating this milestone. The ripple effects of the summer of 2020 continue to be felt. And while you know, I think we would all agree a lot of the 
the energy and the intensity and the scrutiny at that moment all over the country has changed and in some ways subsided. The work that flows from it is carrying on. There are so many important projects that are underway that were sparked in that environment, and I'm deeply proud that the city of Berkeley will be leading the way in developing alternative responses to mental health and substance abuse calls. It's a huge milestone. Also, I want to express my thanks to HCCS staff for landing the uh, item before us, reserving pre-development funds for the North Berkeley BART station. That project is feeling more real every day. Uh, and offer $200 from my discretionary account for the Berkeley Holiday Fund. 200 Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Councilor Humber? Yes. Um, I, I would like to um, allocate $500 from our discretionary fund, um, the holiday fund, discretionary account. Thank you. That's it. Thank you so much, Councilor Humber. We greatly appreciate that. Um, okay, we'll go next to Councillor Kesterwani, followed by Councillor Taplin. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I want to also call attention to item number 13, reserving $500,000 from our Measure O affordable housing bond for pre-development funds of the North Berkeley BART station for affordable housing. I think uh, Councilmember Robinson is right. This project is uh, becoming very real, and I'm really pleased that the BART board approved the selection of uh, the developer, and we're going to be moving forward with our design process um, this year. So, so that's excellent. Um, and then I also wanted to just note and appreciate uh, the specialized care unit contract. Um, and also equally important, I think, is the program evaluation, which will be done, which is item number 11. Um, and then finally, I would also like to make a donation to the Berkeley Holiday Fund um, in the amount of $100. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll go next to Councilor Taplin. Thank you. And I'm 20, I would like to relinquish $500 to the Berkeley Holidays Fund. Thank you. Thank you so much, Councilor Taplin. Okay, we'll go next to Councilmember Bartlett. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I'd like to also uh, send out some good words around this around these uh, these items here. Very, very good. Uh, one, of course, the Fair Work Week second reading uh, through all these years. Wonderful to see that uh, come into play. Uh, and then also we have the, of course, the specialized care unit. And I do want to want to let the community members know who um, complained about it taking so long. This is pretty short. Two years. Um, is the shortest uh, of all of my items to be implemented. <laughs> so I'm really excited to see this. I think um, uh, we'll go a long way uh, towards achieving a, a new level of public safety uh, for everyone. Uh, number seven, the EV fast charging stations. Fantastic. This is something that we've worked on for a long time. I'm excited to work with uh, East Bay Clean Energy uh, to help make it happen. And uh, North Berkeley BART, I uh, want to con con congratulations to my colleague, uh, Rashi Kersarwani around getting this done. Really excited to see it happen. And of course, I'd like to give uh, $250 to the Berkeley Holiday Fund. Thank you very much. We'll go next to Councilmember Hunt. Thank you. Um, first of all, for my uh, urgent item, uh, the letter of, in support of seating Cherokee Nation delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives. First, I want to thank all my colleagues for accepting that item. 
And second, I would like to add Councilmember Taplin, who asked to be added as a co-sponsor. Uh, second, um, I also would like a shout out on item seven for uh, electric vehicle fast charging stations. As someone who recently switched to an all electric vehicle and is now suffering the dearth of charging opportunities statewide, um, it is really a challenge. And um, the city stepping up to increase charging is, is critically needed and will make a real difference. I would like to be recorded as voting no on item eight. The IKEA, this is consistent with votes I have taken since this was first introduced um, many years ago. Um, and um, I continue to think that they are unnecessary and unsightly and um, wish we didn't have them, but uh, that is just my own vote on that. Um, I wanted to do a shout out on item 12 to Benita House. I think a lot of people don't realize that my district houses um, a very important uh, mental health services uh, location and Benita House has been providing services to the community for decades. And I really appreciate them um, taking on the specialized care unit pilot. Um, also wanted to congratulate um, the mayor and the whole team on the North Berkeley BART station um, moving forward with a affordable housing developer as the lead developer at that station. And I'm excited that we are allocating money to get to the next step. I have, I have some concerns about 15 and 16. These are our on-call transportation planning services and architecture and urban design. Um, I, I didn't look at every single one of these and their websites and look through, um, you know, their principals and staff, but I really want to make sure that our commitment to look at cultural competency um, in contracting is being carried through with these on-call services, uh, as well as other contracting that we do. And um, it just wasn't super clear to me that um, those values were shining through in the selections that were made. And I just really want to shine a light on how important that is for our city, that the consultants that we bring in um, have strong cultural competency that matches the competency that we need for our community. Um, I do see the city manager jumped on. I don't know if she wanted to speak to that. Had a couple yes. other things, but if the mayor would allow, if she wanted to respond to that. Yes, please. Not a broad response, just to acknowledge um, that, yes, I think that's a very important um, piece of um, what we need to continue doing. I know we do it consciously in a number of ways when we're looking very specifically, but I think broadly we need to be more intentional. So we will definitely look at including that. Great. I appreciate that. I mean, these on-call contracts are a lot of money and it's a lot of work that gets done that is, you know, I think sometimes hidden from our view in the sense that they're on call and we don't know when they're being called upon or not, but um, I just didn't see uh, what I wanted to in the spot deck that I did. 
And these are big contracts. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that in the future, we will see a better, you know, outcomes from that perspective. And I know that might mean tweaking the way that we do our, um, you know, scoring and things like that, because I know we have to be very fair. And I know that whatever process that you did was, you know, fair and, and, but what we put in those criteria can be determinative of how we fairly score people and what we get out of it. Um, so I really hope, you know, we'll look to that. And I'm, you know, I'm also interested in local as well. I really think that we should be supporting our local service um, providers. So um, thank you for that. Uh, okay. Um, item 20 which is the Berkeley Holiday Fund, I would like to be recorded as giving $300. And that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are there any other members of the city council that wish to address the consent calendar? Okay, seeing none, we'll now take public comment on the consent calendar. This is an opportunity for members of the public to address any item on our consent calendar. Let me summarize the changes as well. Um, the consent calendar is as published with the exception of item 25 having been moved to the consent calendar for the purposes of continuing that item to the January 17th meeting. So if you'd like to speak on any of the consent items or on item 25, now would be the appropriate time. Is there anyone present here at the boardroom who would like to address the consent calendar? Please come forward. And then we'll go to the speakers on Zoom. So happy to see the crisis item finally moving forward. Oh, so many unanswered questions that I'm sure the whole community uh, wants to know. Uh, um, how is this going to coordinate with the police in situations where there's both a mental health issue and a criminal issue? Um, how is this going to coordinate with the, the mobile crisis team? Is there going to be co-response in certain situations, such as domestic violence, where you do have to have a law enforcement officer, and where there, and those situations quickly often escalate into violent situations, and yet it would help to have someone with a mental health background there to also uh, de-escalate the situation. Uh, what happens pre-crisis? Because we shouldn't have to wait for everyone to be in a highly escalated situation. Is there going to be better mental health services that are available in the community so that we aren't just calling in someone in a crisis situation? Um, I can't tell because the light is yellow here if I'm supposed to keep going or not. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, how is this going to be 24-7? What happens if someone gets sick, like with the shelter situation? How, uh, uh, what's the training? What's the training for the dispatchers? Are we going to use a single line? And what happens if uh, there is a inaccurate perception by a caller 
So that's a, a situation is underestimated or a situation is overestimated. Um, how do we know that there's the proper backup in those types of situations? Or that when the police go out, that we have mental health backup if that's what's needed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, District 2, also, I wanted to talk about uh, item uh, 25 on the parking uh, by Berkeley High. Um, I'm happy to hear that uh, something might be worked out, and uh, we'll be looking forward to coming back in January uh, to hear more. But I just wanted to mention that uh, um, those of us who bicycle that, uh, that area uh, on a regular basis Really appreciate the, the improvements, and we waited for a long time to get them because of the uh, Center Street uh, parking structure that was put on. And it was worth the wait. Things are getting better. Uh, unfortunately, one of the downsides is people discovering they can they can park the bike lane, especially around the hardware store. And I hope that we can resolve that. But as I said, uh, I'd like to see. Uh, how things can be uh, more improved because the, that has just made a, a world of difference in uh, that area of Millview, which is the Bicycle Boulevard. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Yeah, I'll just attest to the fact I've had to bob and weave out of the bike lane because we've had delivery vehicles and people that have parked in it. I know it's, it's, it's an ongoing challenge and we'll continue to um, to work on educating people and doing enforcement so that people have a clear path to travel. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay, we'll go to the attendees on Zoom that wish to address the consent calendar. Is there anyone on Zoom who wishes to speak on a consent item? So please raise your hand at this time. Okay, we'll go to Kelly Hammergren. Uh, thank you, I'll try to talk fast. Uh, thank you, Council Member Hahn for to seat the representative of the Cherokee Nation. They have been waiting for nearly 200 years for this action. So thank you so much. On item 13, the pre-development funds, can we please make this project a, com a completely sustainable project as found in Seattle's affordable housing project by sustainable living er innovations? or Harriman, Utah, zero net energy, solar lofts with battery pack backup in every one of the 600 units or just down the road in Davis. Uh, we have a great opportunity for sustainable housing. These BART projects are long-term investments. Let's really do zero net energy. We could do so much and Seattle is showing us it's possible to do zero net, completely affordable housing. Um, on the I kiosks, I congratulate Council Member Hahn for keeping them out of District 5 and Denny, Ab Denny Abrams for keeping them out of 4th Street. This means that we will have a glut in District 4. The thing that could have been done for the public was to make these kiosks a place where our unhoused could charge their phones. This idea was rejected because the homeless might actually use and frequent the ice kiosks. And this was a statement made to us at the public meeting. Um, we also heard from Helen Walsh, who I know from her work on the Disability Commission, informed us that the kiosks are not accessible to disabled, especially visually impaired. 
So we have an intrusion into the public space that is unusable by people who might benefit no, most. So I ask that uh, these things be addressed and fixed. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go to our next uh, speaker on Zoom, Ilana Arabach. Hi there. Um, thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so I, I also want to thank Councilmember Hahn uh, for the um, Navajo Nation. Uh, thank you for, for making that an emergency item. Um, I want to thank everyone and Councilmember Bartlett and, and everyone on the staff and, and the community members who were involved in getting the SCU um, to where we are. I'm excited about Bonita House. I live on Bonita, so um, I love having Bonita House as my neighbor, and I'm delighted that they are the ones who are chosen to run this program. Thank you again, Councilmember Hahn, for saying no on the kiosks. What a horrible idea, especially I, I didn't even know that they were, you know, there was an idea to, to maybe have them be able to charge people who are unhoused their, their devices, but that's no longer, um, you know, I, I, I just think the kiosk are horrible, um, but oh well. Um, item 15, um, these $5 million, I just did a quick search of these firms. Each of them committed up to a million dollars in planning. I saw a lot of white faces. Uh, one of the organizations that we are committing to up to a million dollars had a one-page website. Where did these organizations come from? Who, who, who are these businesses? And based on the study that was done that was proved, proved that I can't remember the name of the study, but I'm sure you all remember within the past year that um, it was shown that the city of Berkeley has racist hiring practices. So if not now, when are you going to implement? I appreciate your, your comments, Councilmember Hahn, to at least bring that up. But when, when are you going to oversee the hiring um, that we, we no longer employ racist hiring practices to the consultants that we hire for the city. If not now, when? Thank you. Sorry, Mr. Mayor, can I just jump in real quick? Because we're talking about the yeah, Vendex. Councilor Bartlett. Uh, so, yeah, I hear you. And uh, you're absolutely right. And so I know that the city manager has assembled uh, a working group uh, inside the city, and they've been working diligently. Uh, however, one of the members of the group has left the city. And so they are in the midst of reorganizing the group and getting it back on track. But uh, it, it is still happening and it has my full attention in the cities. And thank you. Okay, thank you very much. We'll go next to Carol Denny. Good evening, Council. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed that you didn't pull uh, item number eight off of the consent calendar because according to the Ike contract, if you assemble a petition of more than 30 businesses opposed to the placement in a neighborhood, you are qualified for an exemption. And I began speaking about these things four years ago and I have assembled a group of about 40 local merchants, merchants at this intersection and also Addison and San Pablo who are united in their opposition to this. I found only three businesses that were in favor of it or indifferent to it. And I can get you 20 more. It's just that 
I can't understand why Fourth Street was given a privilege and uh, the uh, Sophie Hans district is being given a privilege that we are not being given, especially because it says right in the Ike contract as well, in no event may kiosks be located in front of single family residents or K-12 schools. We have schools here, we have libraries here, and we have five apartment buildings, which are our homes. It is disrespectful in the extreme not to recognize that we want to protect our children and our dining room windows and our bedroom windows from having to constantly see advertising and having our information sucked involuntarily by these things. This is, this is just unfair to us. Please help us because I'm not sure what to do at this point besides consult an attorney. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Fritzi Drosten. And that is our last attendee with their hands raised to speak on consent items. So I'll ask if, if there are any other speakers after Fritzi Drosten. So please raise your hand. Fritzi Drosten, you should now be able to speak. Please unmute yourself if you wish to speak on the consent calendar. And are there any other attendees that wish to speak? If so, please raise your hand. Fritzi Drosten, uh, you're currently muted. If you wish to speak, please unmute yourself. I finally found it. Okay, I, I'm sorry. Great. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, I came in a little late to the meeting, but I really wanted to voice my opposition to those interactive kiosks. I've been by them and they're so noisy uh, on, uh, Addison, the, it, it, the, some kind of machine in them makes a lot of noise. There's too much light. There's, they're very offensive to me. And I really think we shouldn't have them in the city at all. That's it. Thank you very much for your comments. I do not see any other attendees with their hands raised. So I'll bring it back to the city council for further discussion. Councilmember Hahn. Yeah, I just wanted to speak briefly to this idea that my district was given a privilege. Um, I did not think these kiosks were appropriate for my district. I did outreach in my district. People overwhelmingly agreed with me and I worked hard to make sure that the will of the people and the businesses in my district was heard. That's not a privilege. That is a council member advocating what they think is right and what the people in their district tell them they want to see. So I just really want to clarify that is something that I fought for because it's what my district wants. Councilmember Kaplan. Yes, uh, thank you. I want to thank Councilmember Hahn for allowing me to co-sponsor the urgency item. Um, and I wanted to speak on item A. I wanted to begin by thanking uh, OED um, and Director Hollander and, and her team um, and Visit Berkeley. I welcome the kiosks. I've seen the kiosks downtown. I, I personally have not noticed any sound coming out of it. Um, I have not found them to be particularly intrusive. 
Um, I live really close to San Pablo University. I grew up down here and, you know, as a city, you know, we invest a, lo a lot of staff time and resources in our commercial districts downtown, Telegraph and, and, um, and Solano, et cetera. Uh, we don't see that so much on San Pablo. Um, and any city resource amenity that other districts do not want, I will gladly accept. Um, we do deserve more than empty corners and toilets. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Councilor Kesterwani, followed by Vice Mayor Harrison. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. So, so if we're going to talk about these uh, kiosks, item number eight, I, I think we all do the best that we can to represent the interests of our district. And I just want to state for the record, uh, the Gilman District businesses are strongly in support of the Ike kiosks, which is, and they're listed in this item as as a location. University Avenue businesses, uh, Ms. Denny, I respect the outreach that you did. We also did outreach and we got a different response because we provided factual information about what these kiosks actually do. And when we did that, we found strong support on the north side of University Avenue. And we also listened to our stakeholders on 4th Street who said they did not want it. And that's why we don't have 4th Street location. So this isn't being forced on any commercial district. Our small businesses and commercial districts struggled mightily during the pandemic. And I am doing everything I can to support our commercial corridors to make sure they have the resources they need. And we are listening and providing these where they are wanted and, and, and being flexible and not providing them where they are not seen as a benefit. And I have to say for the University Avenue businesses and for the Gilman District businesses, they are really looking forward to the revenue sharing that they'll be able to receive as a result of this. Uh, so I'm really proud to uh, fight for my district as well and make sure that our commercial districts get what they need. Thank you very much. Vice Mayor Harrison. Um, yeah, I also must say that I, I probably met with um, Ms. Hollander and the Downtown Business Association and the businesses seven times about the kiosks, and we moved locations based on objections. So I think it's it's really important that those of us that met with our districts, we did what we thought our districts wanted, and that varies across the city. So I think that's completely appropriate. Um, I wanted to uh, put paid one um, misinterpretation. The machines do not, and Ms. Hollander can verify this, grab cell phone information as you walk by. That is not accurate. If you interact with the kiosk and ask it, tell me what restaurants are nearby, and I would like you to download that on my cell phone, it will do that. Do I have that right, Ms. Hollander? Passers-by information is not going to be gathered. Can you verify that? Uh, I think that's a question for our manager of economic yeah, development. Yeah, yeah I um, can verify that. Is that a yeah. good time to say that? Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Because that was my main concern. I was really concerned about the data collection aspects. And when we dealt with this, we had the first ones in downtown. And when we dealt with this originally, we got rid of the cameras that were on the item, the right. um, machine in other cities. And I went through a big process of making sure that this data capture issue was not real um, and could be dealt with. So I'm very happy about that. I mean, the downtown businesses actually wanted us to do 
people counts using the machines. And I refuse to do that because I think it could be very dangerous. So we're, that is not happening. Um, but I did want to say, ask one thing that Ms. Denny raised that I think is important. I, I'm a little disturbed that the contract says that there'll be no Ike kiosks in front of single family homes. Most of our residents in Berkeley live in apartments over 60%. So I'd like to know, Ms. Hollander, if there is a kiosk in front of the window of an apartment, for example, what is the recourse for that dweller if the light or noise is excessive? Can you describe how that will be dealt with? Because those are people's homes. Um, thanks. Sorry, the light in my office is also sort of excessive. I have my <laughs> my colleague here, Karen Slaughter from the Office of Economic Development that can answer that question as well. Um, but what I did want to say is that uh, approval tonight of these 22 locations does not, um, the next step then is for individual engineering permits to be submitted for each of these locations and further evaluated and things like sight lines and impact and accessibility, all of that is looked at again at each level. So there's it's not even, yes, that would be addressed in a, a further engineering application. Kieran, did I um, leave something out there? Uh, no, and I can address um, Councilmember Harrison's question. Thanks for that question. Uh, Karen Slaughter, Office of Economic Development. The franchise agreement um, states that after an Section E permanent relocation or removal, it stipulates that um, a, except for, I'll just read it, except as provided for in Section F below, no request to permanently relocate or permanently remove a kiosk shall be considered within two years of the initial installation of that kiosk. It goes on to say that the city may request no more than two permanent relocations or permanent removal of a kiosk per year. And the next section states that before the city council entertains any request for a relocation, um, a petition must be signed by at least 30 residents and business owners within a thousand feet of the radius of that kiosk and they shall propose at least two alternative locations in close proximity to the original kiosk location. It continues to discuss how that needs to be done in consultation with the city manager and engineer and so forth. That's in your packet as attachment four. That's the original franchise agreement that was approved. And um, that is what the council approved when they adopted the franchise agreement. And I think the thinking was because we accept that there are definitely residential uses and residences in our commercial districts. However, it is very unlikely that we find single family homes in our residential districts and the council decided that it was not appropriate uh, to locate them in front of single family homes or schools. And that is what we have followed to date. So happy to answer more questions offline, but that's the franchise agreement. Okay, that that I appreciate that answer, Mr. Slaughter. It deals with what happens once one has been put in. But I guess what I'm asking is how do we make sure beforehand that someone's bedroom window, for example, is going to have flashing lights in it. That's what I really sure. want. Yeah, yeah. That's How do we make sure that doesn't happen? Definitely. It's not going to happen. The, the kiosks don't flash. But if, okay, there's going to be a kiosk on the street. If there's a lot of light coming into someone's window and they have a ground floor apartment, which we're doing a lot more of, right, as we're getting rid of commercial in some of these buildings, we're putting mm -hmm. housing. Sure. I just want to know what the recourse is or what the advanced discussion will be about a machine right outside someone's apartment. It yeah. seems very weird to me to say single family. We got away from thinking about single family homes versus apartment dwellers. That yeah. just seems very well, yeah, none, none of the locations that we have analyzed or proposed, there's any ground floor uh, apartment okay. residence. There's no residence in the immediate area that we know of. All of them are on second, third, fourth, or fifth floors. Most of them are wall-to-wall -wall commercial, which is why we would like to locate them there. That's the most 
highly impactful place to get the city messaging out, um, as well as to get emergency messaging and just to provide amenities um, for transit riders and other folks. So. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Okay, I'm going to make a motion to approve the consent calendar as amended. Is there a second? Second. And Councilor Han, you noted your no vote on item eight. Um, this is item has not been pulled, so we can move on to other business. But I'll recognize you. Thank you. I, I just wanted to say that um, unless things have changed from two or three months ago when I asked the question in detail about whether people's information was being captured, the machines do capture every person who walks by their phone attached, it connects to, um, it's like a Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, now the information I was told is anonymized, but we all know that that kind of information can be de-anonymized and they use the information to help price their advertisements, which is 85% of what they are. Um, they do market themselves as a public service, but they are, they are very clearly Adverti backlit advertising billboards that, spin circ that, that circulate and the circulating of a brighter to a less bright ad can have a flashing effect. It is not a flashing light, but as they, as they circle through, they have different light intensities and that can create a sense of brighter and less bright as the ads go through. Um, but I just really, wanted to clarify that what I have been told by the Ike representatives is that they do capture every person who walks by with a cell phone that can connect to them. That it's just supposedly anonymized. So I, I'm just saying that's what I was told. Councilman Bartlett. And then let's proceed to a vote on the consent calendar. We have other business to get to. Oh, thank you. I just want to say um, I'm excited for the uses of the IKEAs to to go to the next level of communication of the community uh, and display uh, the, the the contestants' uh, entries for the city flags uh, and the city the city songs and the city mottos. I think it'll be a wonderful way to get it out there and let people vote on them as they walk by and drive by. Uh, I think they're really fun. Uh, Inter, inter, intercommunicable, uh, intercommunicative uh, implements. I think they're really useful. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing how we can use it in more, more creative ways going forward. Thank you. So we have a motion to approve the consent calendar as amended. I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Aragine? Yes. Okay, motion carries. Thank you. The motion carries. Um, so we'll now proceed to the action calendar and item 21 is a public hearing on amendments to our zoning ordinance to make technical edits and corrections. And I'd now like to um, turn the floor to Jordan Klein, Director of Planning and Development, to open on the app. 
Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Good evening, council members. I'm Jordan Klein, Director of Planning Development. Presenting for the department this evening will be Justin Horner, Senior Planner in our policy group. Uh, good evening, everyone. Does everyone see the first slide? Yes, thank you. Okay, great. Uh, good evening, Mayor and members of the Council. Uh, Justin Horner, Planning Department staff. Uh, before you, please find a set of zoning ordinance amendments, which consist of a fourth and final set of technical and copy edits to the new zoning ordinance. As you likely recall, the new zoning ordinance was adopted by the City Council last October and became effective on December 1st of last year. When the new zoning ordinance was presented to the City Council, staff anticipated that there would be a need to come back with regular packages of edits and corrections. First batch of technical amendments was presented to you in April of this year. The second was approved by the council in July, and the third was approved in September. This is the fourth and again, final set of technical changes. With these changes, the zoning code will be updated and stabilized for any zoning amendments council would consider in the coming year. The staff report describes the amendments in detail and they are summarized here in this table and slide. I would draw your attention to the final item uh, in the table, which was not included in your staff report. Upon review of tonight's ordinance, we noticed that the section numbers in the ordinance itself were misnumbered. There are two section fives. So we would ask that you include direction for proper numbering of the ordinance itself in any motion to approve. Um, accordingly, staff recommends approval of the proposed amendments with direction to correct the ordinance's numbering. Thank you for your attention and I'm available for any questions. Thank you very much. Are there any questions from members of the city council on item 21? So please raise your hand. Seeing no raised hands, I'll now open the public hearing uh, item 21, zoning ordinance amendments, making technical edits and corrections to BMC title 23. Is there any attendee that wishes to address this item? If so, please raise your hand if you're on the Zoom platform or press star nine if you're phoning into our meeting. Last call for public comment, item 21. Seeing no additional raised hands, I will make a motion to close the public hearing at this time. Is there a second? Seconded by Councilman Robinson, thank you. Roll call, please. To close the public hearing. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Councilor Bartlett, um, on the motion to close the public hearing on item 21, do you wish to record a vote? Why don't we come back to him? Okay. Uh, Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Harrigan? Mayor yes. And Councilor Bartlett to close the public hearing? Yes. Okay. Motion carries. Okay, the public hearing is closed. I'll make a motion to approve the first reading of the ordinance to make technical edits, corrections, and non-substantive amendments to the zoning ordinance with the direction of staff to make proper section numbering changes as requested. Second. Seconded by Councilor Robinson. Any additional questions or comments on item 21? If so, please raise your hand, colleagues. Seeing no raised hands, I'll ask the clerk to please call the roll on the motion to approve the staff recommendation for item 21. Uh, Councilmember Kesterwani. Yes. Kaplan. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. 
Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Aragin? Yes. Motion carried. The motion carries. Thank you very much. So when I proceed to item 22, which is the fiscal year 2022 preliminary year end status, and this is a companion item also to item 23, the amendment to the fiscal year 2023 annual appropriations ordinance, I'd like to now turn to the city manager and budget manager um, to open on this item and just ask for your uh, advice as to how we should um, proceed with the presentation discussion of these two items. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, our budget manager, Sharon Fredrickson, is here this evening to present. Um, I would suggest that we um, probably start first with your item, Mr. Mayor, and then move to the staff. Um, that way we can close out with um, any final changes that need to be made. Okay. Um, so, Mr. Darrow, um, I have a question, or Mr. Newmanville. So, uh, item 22 and 23 are really um, related items. Um, item 22 is the, the fiscal close for 20, fiscal 22, and then 23 is the allocation of the um, excess general fund equity um, and the annual appropriations ordinance. Can we consolidate public comment items 22 and 23, or do we need to take public comment separately? I believe they'll be presented on in a consolidated manner by both myself and the um, budget manager. Uh, Mr. Darrow or Mr. Newmanville, any advice? I think so long as you make it clear that the public comment is for the two items at the same time yeah. and permit people who, who may be confused to offer their comments, I, I think that will be fine. I, I, if Mark has a different opinion, I, I would defer to him. No, I, I would agree with the assistant city attorney, especially given the fact that item 22 is just an information item Correct. and there is no separate action that could be taken on that. Correct. Item. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that advice. Um, so I'd now like to consolidate discussion on, of item 22, the fiscal year 2022 preliminary year and status report. That is an information item and item 23, the amendment, the fiscal year 2023 annual appropriations ordinance and item 23 is an action item. So both are related to each other. Um, so um, Madam City Manager, I think you suggested that I should open to discuss the adjustments that I had recommended the budget committee had approved. That's correct. Okay, thank you. So let me pull that up. So um, colleagues, um, as the, um, the report for item 23 had noted, um, uh, due to unexpected and robust property and transfer tax receipts, as well as a rebounding of our sales tax revenues to pre-pandemic levels, the, our last fiscal year, fiscal year 2023, closed with unaudited actual general fund revenues of $284 million, um, or $48.4 million more than our adopted budget had projected. Um, and while our expenditures have trended slightly higher than the adopted budget, the result is an available general fund balance, um, unallocated general fund balance of 47.4 million at the close of our last fiscal year. That, and that excludes the measure P tax receipts, which I think are in the order of 19 million, which I think is an unprecedented number due to the very robust property sales that we're seeing. So as part of the first amendment to the 
FY23 Annual Appropriations Ordinance, which is item 23. The city manager is proposing the allocation of general fund encumbrances in the amount of $8,980,951. Um, general fund carryover, a prior appropriations being carrying over of money that was previously appropriated in previous fiscal years to this next fiscal year, in the amount of $6,263,403. And she is proposing new adjustments, new additions to the budget to allocate general fund surplus dollars in the amount of $773,412. And as noted in the report, which was submitted as part of SUP2, um, the city manager's proposed adjustments do include the allocation of $100,000 to establish a tenant advocate position for Harriet Tubman Terrace, which was referred to the budget process by the city council on November 3rd. So, after accounting for encumbrances, carryover of funds, and new adjustments, there is a remaining positive general fund balance of $31.3 million. Prior council action in June to balance our two-year budget required a pre-commitment of general fund excess equity in the amount of $17 million. So we had previously pre-committed or spent $17 million of that uh, $47.4 million of um, excess equity. And additionally, our policy on the allocation of uh, excess equity to our reserves and to our capital improvement fund does require that we set aside some of that amount, as noted in the chart that was provided by the city manager and in, on page uh, I guess it's three of my report. So after all these, um, these allocations to the capital improvement fund, to the reserves, to balance the budget, we're left with a unallocated general fund balance of $2,522,439, which is available to the council for allocation as part of the AAO adoption. So I carefully reviewed the list of council referrals uh, to the mid-year budget adjustment process, and I proposed to the budget committee that we prioritize expenditures for one-time capital projects, which is typically what we use excess general fund revenues for, one-time expenditures, programs to improve health and wellness, as well as funding to implement our Fair Work Week ordinance, which we adopted on second reading today, and as well as other um, workplace policies and city has adopted. So the um, budget adjustments that I proposed to the budget committee, and I will share the screen, please give me one second, were $1 million to close the funding gap for the Southside Complete Streets project. Um, and this was um, something that public work staff told us about um, just about a month ago, that there is, due to, due to cost increases, a $1 million gap that we have to fill. If we don't allocate this money now, the city could lose $7 million of federal funds to complete this critical um, bike, pedestrian, traffic safety project, transportation project in the South Campus area. We're also going to be um, leveraging money from the um, settlement with UC Berkeley to also help fill this gap as well. So I believe this is a critical, um, a critical need. Once again, this is to help us leverage $7 million of federal funds. So the bulk of that $2.5 million, if we approve these adjustments, will go towards helping close that gap. Um, Council also previously referred on November 3rd um, that we establish a labor standards enforcement position in the Health, Housing, and Community Services Department to assist with the implementation of the new Fair Work Week ordinance, as well as our minimum wage 
paid sick leave and other um, employment labor policies. And that, that's been costed in the amount of $230,000. I think that is, it's prudent for us to make sure we have the capacity to implement the laws that we're, we're passing. And I think the benefits that will accrue to workers in the city of Berkeley warrant um, the um, commitment of these resources to establish this position. This will ensure that we have more staff capacity to implement council adoptive employment laws in the city of Berkeley. Councilmember Bartlett had also referred to the mid-year budget process, the need for a critical capital grant, and I believe we have a representative La Pena present on a call tonight who will speak, to assist La Pena in critical capital repairs they need to make to continue their operation as a arts and culture facility in the city of Berkeley. There is precedent for the council to provide um, one-time capital grants. We've done so for the UC Theater, for Kala Art Institute, for the Bras Arte Brazilian Center on um, San Pablo Avenue. And while I do believe that we should ultimately establish a permanent capital grant program in the um, Civic Arts program, um, there, this is one arts organization that has come to the city saying that they need these resources to complete critical capital improvements. And so I am recommending, given the, given the time sensitivity of the request, that the council allocate 150000 which is the same amount we've granted other arts organizations. The amount we gave UC Theater, the same amount we gave Brasarte, the same amount we gave Kawa. And I think there's equity and fairness. And, um, and clearly, they, they have documented and demonstrated the need for, these, for this funding to help close their, their funding gap to com complete these capital repairs that they need at their facility. Um, we have heard of several um, um, collisions, accidents that have happened at the Martin Luther King and Addison intersection, including one that, that seriously injured um, somebody who was crossing that intersection. Councilor Harrison has brought forward a referral to allocate $50,000 to make additional improvements at that intersection. Um, and I am proposing that that also be um, part of the budget adjustments that the council adopt tonight. In order to implement the Fair Work Week Ordinance, we do need to conduct robust outreach to local businesses to inform them of the new policy and to assist in the implementation of the policy. So we had also referred to the budget process on, um, I think it was November 21st, that we um, allocate $50,000 for outreach to businesses on the implementation of the Fair Work Week Ordinance. I believe we should incorporate that as part of the budget adjustments tonight. Um, Councilor Kaplan has once again brought forward um, a um, critical um, request by Strawberry Creek Lodge to help fund the operation of the food program, which we have done on, a, I think, over the past two years. Um, and this will ensure that the seniors that live at Strawberry Creek Lodge can access meals, um, which I think we can all agree is critical to the health and wellness of our seniors. Um, and then the Berkeley Junior Jackets has also requested that we allocate a very small amount of money to help cover the cost of them using city sports fields um, for the, the programs, the athletic programs that they provide South and West Berkeley youth. In addition, there were some additional um, referrals, such as um, there was an, uh, identified $50,000 that was needed to complete the um, small sites program at 1638 Street at the McGee Avenue Baptist Church in the amount of $50,000. And I'm proposing that we fund that through Measure U1 tax receipts. And then the city manager, as we had talked about previously as part of public comment, has identified the need for an additional $120,000 to fund the operations of the inclement weather shelter. This will ensure that we can provide more hours and more coverage 
for people who need the, this critical service to provide shelter for people from the cold and the elements. Um, the budget committee have suggested that we cost shift or move the allocation for the equitable clean streets program, which is primarily used to help clean in and around encampments from the general fund to measure P. And so that was part of the recommendation from the budget and finance policy committee. There were a number of other referrals to measure budget process that the budget committee had um, discussed and we had proposed be referred to the June budget process to allow time for staff to work on further development of these programs and to further cost, fully cost the, um, these programs so council can consider these requests as part of the June budget process. And lastly, um, if, if many councilors may recall, um, when we adopted the June budget, the city manager prioritized expenditures on the basis of tiers. And we had funded all the tier one expenditures were included in the baseline budget, as well as a few tier two expenditures were added to the budget and tier three was not included. And I'm suggesting let's refer all those tier two and three referrals from staff and from council that were not previously funded to the June budget process. So that's all on the table for us to consider at that time as well. So on um, December 8th, the budget and finance committee met to consider this recommendation and unanimously voted that council adopt the item 23 with these adjustments um, that I had presented. So um, that is my recommendation as well, that we adopt item 23 to include the adjustments that I just um, presented that were recommended by the Budget and Finance Policy Committee and the city managers in agreement as well. So uh, with that, um, uh, why don't we go to the budget budget staff um, next? Uh, thank you, uh, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council. Uh, we do have a, a short presentation. However, uh, the mayor has succinctly captured um, uh, the items that the city manager had uh, brought forward, as well as the recommendations of the. Um, uh, approved by the uh, recommended by the budget and finance committee uh, we have uh, included as supplemental to in the revised materials uh, we have updated the annual appropriation ordinance and the corresponding exhibits to uh, incorporate these changes so again it's so uh, pleases uh, the, the council uh, we can bring up our uh, presentation or uh, just answer uh, any questions that you may have um Oh. I pressed the wrong mic. Um, so, um, Ms. Friesen, was it the presentation that was given at Budget and Finance about um, all the um, the fiscal close and the access equity calculation and the city manager's proposed adjustments? Um, that is why, don't, why, don't we, why don't we give that presentation because all the council members may have seen it at budget and finance, and then we can go to council member questions and discussion. Okay. And uh, we do have uh, uh, two presentations. We uh, had uh, split the item just uh, uh, just uh, in, in case it was considered twice. So we do have a, a short presentation on fiscal year 22 year end close, and then a very brief presentation on uh, the 23 AAO. So again, we can, uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, so bear with us and we'll uh, pull up the fiscal year uh, 22 year end close presentation. 
next slide, please. Again, uh, good evening, uh, uh, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council members. Uh, the purpose of this presentation and the accompanying agenda report is really to provide a summary on the fiscal year 22 financial status, again, based on our uh, unaudited uh, actuals. Uh, in short, uh, the both expenditures for all funds and the general fund are under budget uh, when we look at the fiscal year 22 uh, unaudited estimated actuals compared to the revised budget. Uh, this is largely due to vacancies and other project uh, related uh, uh, delays. And again, the uh, city manager started tonight's evening uh, with a discussion about uh, the vacancy uh, in the various departments. Uh, the general fund uh, estimated revenues are higher than anticipated uh, compared to the adopted budget. And we'll uh, discuss those uh, in detail in a, a few slides. And based on our excess equity calculation for fiscal year 22, we anticipate increasing the allocation to the to the reserves by a minimum of 1.5 million, which would bring our total for fiscal year 23 allocation to reserves to 7 million. Uh, we have a, a few slides to uh, provide context related to the expenditures by department, again, looking at uh, the expenditures across all the various funds, as well as the general fund, and a, a table uh, regarding our general fund revenues, and then we do have the uh, excess equity calculation and the available balance, and then we'll uh, be able to take any questions and entertain any uh, discussion the council wishes to have on this item. Next slide, please. Fiscal year 22, the all funds, ex, uh, all funds summary expenditures total $659 million. Uh, this is under the revised budget by $134 million or 17%. Again, uh, primarily related to savings from vacancies as well as uh, timing related issues and projects that have not been completed. Uh, the uh, chart on the screen uh, depicts the year-end actuals by department uh, compared to the fiscal year adopted budget as well as the fiscal year 22 uh, adjusted or revised budget. And you can see uh, when you look across the orange column representing the adopted budget, uh, the uh, tan or, or brown column, which is on the far right is the year-end actuals. Uh, a little bit of a, a variance in terms of the year-end actuals compared to the adopted um, however, when you look at the adjusted uh, budget uh, for fiscal year, year 22, uh, as denoted by the red uh, line on the chart, uh, you can see that uh, for several departments, the year-end actuals are significantly uh, under that uh, budget. Next slide, please. Uh, this table reflects the numbers or the dollars that uh, drive the chart I just uh, presented. Uh, looking across, uh, there's really uh, a couple departments to highlight, uh, health, housing, and community services, which is uh, the middle toward the bottom of
Is it me or did Sharon freeze? I we don't it's, hear her here um, okay. on the internet. Ms. Friedrichsen, um, we do not hear you. Um, if I may suggest maybe turn off your camera. Sometimes that's better in terms of the audio connectivity. Um, I think we're still having difficulty hearing her. Madam City Manager, um, I think we're probably logged back on. Okay. Um, I will I take see her off. still on the Zoom. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm back. I apologize uh, temporarily. Uh, no problem. <laughs> Wi Fi uh, glitch there. Uh, uh, We've had a number of technical difficulties tonight, but we're back. <laughs> uh, thank you for your, them, so. for your understanding. Uh, again, uh, also health, housing, and community service, some of that variance uh, related to uh, timing uh, for projects that have been identified but not yet uh, executed related to affordable housing. Uh, looking uh, down the list, parks, recreation, and waterfront, uh, variance of uh, 15 million, again, related to uh, vacancies and project-related uh, uh, delays uh, through various funds, the Parks Fund, T1, uh, Marino Fund, for example. And then uh, public works, a variance of uh, over $60 million. Again, that's across all the uh, various funds that are managed, managed by government. Again, um, largely attributed to vacancies and uh, project uh, uh, timing related issues. Uh, this includes uh, nearly 25 million for projects uh, uh, that are funded by a combination of the capital improvement fund, uh, state transportation tax, and measure B and BB, and uh, 10 million, almost uh, 9.5 million uh, for projects uh, that are uh, uh, delayed with the uh, sanitor sanitation sewer fund. Uh, next slide, slide, please. Now, the last snapshot really looked at all the funds uh, across the city. We'd like to uh, focus specifically now on the general fund, which again is the uh, fund that the city council has the uh, uh, most discretion in terms of uh, the spending. Uh, you can see here a general fund uh, snapshot summary that uh, looks at the revenues expenditures by personnel uh, versus a non-personnel and the projected net change. Uh, we had originally as part of the mid-year update uh, presented uh, projections uh, in May of 2022 um, to the Budget and Finance Policy Committee and also uh, to council and the mid-year report. Uh, we had based our projection based on the year-to-date actuals for the first six months of the year. You can see on the last column is the fiscal year 22, again, unaudited estimated actual and can see the uh, variance of uh, revenues. Again, uh, we anticipated uh, to uh, perform uh, better than expected, uh, primarily due to the property transfer tax, uh, but uh, revenue did come in even uh, greater uh, than expected. Uh, personnel expenditures uh, uh, were uh, tracking. Uh, we were mon observing uh, trends and personnel, and those costs did come in a little uh, higher than we had anticipated in May. Uh, Non-personnel uh, roughly uh, consistent where we had projected uh, to be. 
and you can see there the uh, net uh, projected change uh, uh, between the revenues and the expenditures. Next slide, please. This next slide, we'd like to uh, highlight uh, the revenue and the trends. Uh, again, there's a, a very uh, detailed uh, analysis of the general fund revenues provided by our uh, finance uh, director and finance department. Uh, however, uh, we tried to provide some high-level categories of the major uh, revenue sources as it pertains to the general fund. Uh, you can see, again, based on the fiscal year 22 uh, unaudited unaudited actual, the property uh, tax, real estate transfer tax, uh, just uh, how well uh, the item uh, performed compared to the budget in fiscal year 22. Again, uh, significant uh, growth uh, related uh, to the property transfer tax, including Measure P. Uh, this is a revenue source that we will continue to observe uh, and uh, continue to analyze to make sure uh, that trend uh, is sustainable and uh, whether it uh, is likely to continue in fiscal year 23 and onward, uh, particularly in light of various economic factors, including the increase in interest rates. On a uh, positive note, uh, several of the uh, Taxes related to our local economy uh, did show signs of improvement compared to the uh, uh, performance in the past related to the uh, post-pandemic. You can see a sales tax, uh, our hotel and short-term rental tax, and business license tax uh, uh, performed uh, better than anticipated. Again, uh, this is a promising sign, uh, but we do urge caution. Uh, many of these revenue sources have not rebounded uh, to their peak performance prior to the pandemic. Again, uh, the Finance Department and the Budget Office will be continuing uh, to analyze these trends and uh, trying to assess if and when uh, some of these local revenues, particularly uh, related to sales tax, uh, may rebound uh, to the level uh, prior to the pandemic. And also included in the uh, transfers for fiscal year 22 included uh, uh, the remaining uh, transfer of our uh, one-time American Rescue uh, Plan Act funds. Next slide, please. Uh, looking at the general fund expenditures, our expenditures uh, by de uh, department uh, totaled $249 million. Uh, that's uh, under uh, budget uh, by $6 million or about 2%. Again, uh, similar to the all funds uh, scenario, uh, the trend is that uh, we did, in, did incur uh, savings uh, from vacancies through several departments. Uh, however, uh, we did uh, 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 incur overtime uh, in our public uh, safety departments uh, due primarily to vacancies and the pandemic. Uh, next slide, please. Next two slides uh, provide a snapshot of the expenditures uh, by department. Again, uh, the projected expenditure uh, as of May 2022, based on the uh, first six months of the year, and then the unaudited, unaudited estimated actual. Again, uh, most departments uh, fin finished the year under budget uh, with these savings uh, due to vacancies. Uh, you can see uh, looking through the um, the list of uh, savings in uh, almost uh, every department. Uh, next slide, please. 
and uh, continued uh, savings, uh, particularly within HHCS, uh, largely to, uh, to the vacancies uh, in uh, Parks, Recreation, and Waterfront, and the Public Works Department, and uh, police, both the police and the fire uh, department. Um, for the general fund, the primary source of funding for the public safety department is the general fund. So you see a little bit of a, a difference when you look at the general fund versus uh, the all funds analysis. Again, um, because the police department and the fire department are providing essential critical uh, public safety services, uh, there are uh, minimum staffing requirements. Uh, both uh, departments' uh, vacancies were also compounded um, by uh, seasonal uh, factors related to the uh, wave of uh, the coronavirus pandemic that impacted the department. And uh, both departments are also uh, faced with the ongoing challenges related to recruitment and retention within these departments, again, as the city manager uh, had discussed in the uh, uh, beginning of uh, tonight's uh, meeting. Again, so we uh, did incur uh, personnel costs uh, greater than we anticipated in the police uh, department and the fire department. Uh, but overall, the uh, general fund uh, expenditures were under budget. Next slide, please. Uh, this leads us to our uh, general fund excess equity calculation. Uh, Again, uh, the fiscal year 22 revenues are, are noted, uh, and we uh, had um, provided those in greater detail, the fiscal year 22 expenditures. Um, now, because several of the expenditures were under budget for fiscal year 22, there was a combination, again, of vacancies as well as uh, various projects uh, that weren't implemented before the end of the fiscal year. And so you see uh, both the unspent contracts, um, which are encumbrances, as well as some of the recommended general fund carryovers um, being brought forward into fiscal year 23 as part of the AAO. Uh, we initially had uh, proposed from the city manager's office other adjustments or increases uh, to the fiscal year uh, 23 budget of 773000 uh, This uh, brought the available balance uh, to uh, 31 million. Uh, as previously uh, noted um, by the mayor, uh, as part of our balancing uh, budget strategies for both fiscal year uh, 23 and 24, we anticipated uh, that increase in the excess property transfer tax and used uh, that uh, increased revenue to help, help offset um, both some of our operating expenses, our uh, funding uh, for capital projects, and we also uh, pre-committed uh, or pre-funded uh, $1.5 million of the reserve. Uh, that uh, brings our available balance uh, down to uh, $4.4 .4 million. Um, from this $4 million, uh, we are uh, recommending an additional allocation uh, to the reserves of $1.5 million, uh, which leads an excess equity balance of $2.5 million. Uh, which then uh, leads into our discussion uh, regarding uh, new recommendations for re uh, pertaining to the AAO. And so if you uh, uh, bear with us, we'll uh, bring up uh, the presentation related to the uh, AAO number one.
Thank you, Mark. I uh, can uh, jump to the uh, second uh, slide. And the purpose of uh, this part of the agenda item is to review the fiscal year uh, 2023 uh, adjustments to the annual appropriation. Um, again, uh, this is a combination of reappropriation of the fiscal year 22 uh, committed uh, funds, which we call the encumbered funds, as well as unspent uh, funds from fiscal year 22, uh, which we consider the carryover, as well as recommendations uh, for adjustments or increases uh, to the fiscal year 23 adopted um, budget. Uh, this would uh, conclude with the first reading of the norm of the ordinance amending the fiscal year 20, 2023 annual appropriations ordinance. And again, uh, what we'll look at is the excess equity calculation, a uh, summary of the all funds uh, as presented in the AAO number one, and then the uh, general fund recommended adjustments and then it'll be available for any uh, questions. Next slide, please. Uh, again, uh, to uh, recap of where we left off on the fiscal year 22 uh, year end report, and this was the current uh, excess uh, equity uh, calculation. It uh, originally includes the 773,000 uh, recommended in general fund carryover and the excess equity uh, balance of the 2.5 uh, million. Next slide, please. On a all funds uh, summary, uh, this slide presents the recommended encumbrance, the recommended carryover, uh, the recommended adjustments, and the total by both the, the general fund, uh, the CIP fund, and all other funds. And so uh, you can see in the recommended adjustments for the general fund, uh, we're recommending uh, nearly uh, 4.1 million uh, within the general fund uh, in new requests for fiscal year 23, uh, which is inclusive of Measure P. Again, uh, for presentation in the annual appropriations ordinance, uh, Measure P is rolled up and included in the general fund. Uh, so that is the uh, uh, 4.1 million in uh, recommended adjustments. Next slide, please. Uh, the uh, encumbrance uh, dollar amount on the previous slide uh, does include the $9 million of general fund and the $3 million of Measure P, uh, carryover by $6 million of general fund and $520,000 of Measure P, again, primarily related to uncompleted uh, projects uh, that will uh, carry over into fiscal year 23 uh, to uh, be completed, and then adjustments uh, to the fiscal year 23 uh, budget 1.6 million for Measure P for Project Home Key, 120,000 uh, from Measure P for the Inclement uh, Weather uh, Shelter, as the mayor um, presented in his opening comments. Uh, 2.3 million uh, for other general fund adjustments, including council budget referrals, and uh, 50,000 uh, for the Stewart Street affordable housing, which would come from Measure U1. Next slide, please. So the uh, original uh, recommendations uh, that total to the 773,412,000 uh, uh, included the adjustment uh, for the Office of Economic Development uh, to uh, continue uh, work related to the tile wall at the Aquatic Park Public Art Project. Again, uh, timing 
uh, this project is uh, ready uh, uh, to be awarded in the spring and completed. Um, during the discussion of the fiscal year 23 and 24 biannual budget, the city manager's office uh, discussed the creation of the special projects unit. Uh, and one of the um, uh, key uh, positions in the special projects unit would be a project manager two position. Uh, this uh, position was inadvertently excluded uh, uh, from the 23 and 24 budget. Uh, we've uh, have uh, performed an analysis we uh, believe we'll be able to uh, support um, the position in fiscal year 23 uh, with our salary savings. Uh, however, we are uh, requesting uh, uh, incremental uh, funding uh, of uh, 71,000 uh, for fiscal year 23 for that position. Uh, we would then uh, also make that uh, adjustment uh, for the fiscal year 24 as part of the update. Uh, the third item recommended is the uh, funding for the Municipal Resource Group contract, which was approved um, by Council in September. Uh, this is related to the work uh, related to the Employer of Choice Initiative. Again, um, this item uh, was discussed earlier this evening. Uh, we are recommending uh, nearly 208000 in fiscal year 23 for the uh, start of the recruitment and retention uh, proposal uh, by the police department. Uh, this is a, a proposal to uh, bring forward uh, several various strategies in order to help uh, the police department both recruit and retain uh, staff in light of the uh, vacancies and in light of the uh, uh, critical uh, uh, nature of uh, providing the public safety services. Uh, the measure, measure JJ salary benefit increase is uh, required uh, by the charter. Uh, this was uh, not included in the fiscal year 23 budget uh, uh, due to timing and uh, is now being brought forward as part of the adjustments for uh, the uh, First Amendment to the annual preparation ordinance. Uh, we have two items uh, that uh, would be allocated to the Public Works Department. Uh, these were... Um, Council uh, budget referrals and items that were funded in the past. Uh, however, uh, funding uh, was not uh, carried over into fiscal year uh, 22. Um, again, a, a timing related issue. However, the department is uh, ready to commence with these projects. And so uh, we are asking for those funds uh, to be uh, uh, recommitted. Uh, this would allow for a connection to the upper uh, Columbia pathways, which is currently a um, Unaccessible uh, dirt path and uh, would really enhance our uh, disaster uh, response uh, and preparation efforts, and uh, then also uh, some uh, traffic and street improvements at uh, Claremont, Claremont and Russell and uh, the Claremont Eaton. Uh, as previously indicated, uh, we are recommending funding of 100000 for the tenant advocate position. Um, and then the uh, next following items. Uh, were addressed um, by the mayor and his opening remarks. And again, these are items that are supported uh, by the Budget and Finance Policy Committee and also the city manager. Uh, the two items uh, packaged together relate to the implementation of the Fair Work Week, work, Fair work week Ordinance, uh, both the enforcement position and the outreach. Uh, the next item is the Southside uh, Funding Complete Streets Gap. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, the next item is uh, the La Pena Cultural Center Capital Grant. I uh, uh, do uh, 
need to uh, point out uh, that the slide uh, mentions 100,000. It is 150,000, as uh, the mayor indicated, and our revised supplemental uh, materials do include the full funding amount. Uh, the other items include the Strawberry Creek Lodge food program, the Berkeley Junior Jackets food use expense, uh, the two uh, Measure P items, uh, as previously mentioned, and although Measure U1 is considered um, its own um, separate funding uh, source, we uh, did want to include it on the slide as well. And uh, that uh, are the uh, recommended uh, adjustments um, that are uh, being uh, brought forward. Next slide. Uh, with that, uh, does uh, complete uh, the presentation. Uh, again, I am available as, as the uh, city manager to answer any questions that the uh, council may have. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ms. Friedrichsen, um, for the presentation, all your work. I actually saw Vice Mayor Harrison's hand up first, and then it went down. Um, and I'm going to go to her if that's okay first, and then we'll go to Councilor Rahan. Um. Thank you very much, Ms. Friedrichsen. It's been a real delight to work with you this year on this budget process. And I want to say there's basically for me four themes in this budget. Number one is good government. We funded the reserves and the capital funding up front in the June budget, something we hadn't done before. We used to get to this point and think we had this huge amount of money available. And then we think, oh my God, now we put it in reserves and capital and there's only this tiny little amount of money. Rather than do it that way, this year we funded it in June, and so we knew what we needed to put aside there, and it made the process much better. I also appreciate both your and the mayor's idea to continue all two, tier two and three requests from the budget in June um, and continue that on to the next process. It is, it's always been very confusing to me what happened to our requests if they didn't happen to get funded. And in that regard, colleagues, there's an issue about how some of our traffic mitigation items that were funded in past years, where are they? You see here Claremont and Eden, which is a great project, and I'm glad it's coming back, has come back. But I'm asking the budget office to help us identify where some of the other projects that were funded are and whether those funds are still available. We also did a much better job on uh, salary saving estimates, although they are so far too low. I forget what you're assuming now. I think it's about 8%, Ms. Friedrichsen, and we see it numbers of like 25%. So, but it's much better than it was. It used to be 3%. Um, and then finally, in my recommendation, the committee moved the clean streets to measure P um, because they do have a role in encampment cleanup. So there are a lot of good things in the good government bucket. Um, we also did a lot in dealing with the most vulnerable amongst us. Thank you, Madam City Manager, for funding the, the tenant advocate for Harriet Tubman, the work for Fair Work Week for low work wage workers, Strawberry Creek Lodge, and the Berkeley Junior Jackets. Also not included here, but something that is happening, and I want my constituents to know, is the continuation of the money that was set aside to finish the kitchen at the North Berkeley Senior Center. In addition to the staffing issues, the reason we don't have meals there now is the kitchen was not completed. We have an electrification grant and that work will get done this year. So that was in the carry forwards. And so another way we're helping vulnerable people. Um, third, we had this whole sort of theme of complete streets and, and traffic safety, and which included my Addison and MLK traffic improvements. And to the constituent who wrote to me and said, you're not really changing the road again, are you? No, we're not changing the road again. What we're doing is asking that instead of pedestrians having to push 
the button for the flashing beacons, that those go on automatically as a pedestrian approaches. I had two seniors hit in that intersection because they forgot to push the button. We shouldn't rely on human behavior for safety. So that, that's what we're doing on that. On that. Um, and then finally, culture with the La Pena. Um, I think there's a, um, I know there's gonna be public comment about the issue of spending money on looking at police recruitment and retention. I wanna say, I wanna put this in context. We have already got a, a chunk of money in here, $155,000 in total for work that's being done for general recruitment and retention outside of the police department. This would have money to do work on recruitment and retention of police officers. Um, Berkeley isn't unique in having a problem recruiting and retaining police officers. This is a national trend. And so I reject any logic that says police officers are uniquely leaving Berkeley because we're reimagining policing or we don't respect our department. I don't think any of that is true, but it's a reality that we're down in officers. So while I would rather not have to spend general fund money, I don't think it makes sense to say to departments, you're understaffed, you're having a recruitment attention problem. You pay. Well, you should pay for it out of your budget, which is, I think, what some people are asking. That personally does not make sense to me because we're not asking all the other departments to pay for it out of their budget. We have this other contract. Having said that, I am still really concerned about police overtime because you can see that they are the one department that has gone over budget. And I believe in fire, maybe I was a little lost on that part of the chart. Um, we have got to tackle this issue and. It's not the time for it, it's late at night, but at some point I'd like to know more about what we are doing about the, the contracts for overtime at um, private entities and what we're doing about um, overtime in general in the police department. But having said all that, I think it's important that we hire regular officers rather than using overtime. I think having people that are not tired, that are working normal schedules is a really good idea. So I'm in favor of using general fund money for this recruitment. Um, I know it, it galls me too that they have a huge budget and they overspend their budget and we have these issues, but this isn't the place to cut back from my point of view. I think that would be the worst place to cut back in the police department. Um, also, I should say they have a special fund in the police department, which they are using for a lot of purposes this year, which they haven't always done. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and then the only other comment I wanna make is on the revenue estimates. Um, we're going to be getting a report, I believe, in February on how we're doing on revenues. Uh, one thing I did notice is the hotel tax, I, I kind of predicted this, uh, was projected to be $2.8 and it actually came in at about seven because the new downtown hotel is open. And because what's really happened is Airbnb has happened. Short-term rentals have happened. That's our hotel business in Berkeley, in addition to our big hotels. The Airbnbs never stopped, despite COVID. They continued on. And I think people are more willing to stay in an Airbnb. So I just think on that one, on the hotel tax, I'm going to ask Henry in advance to really look at that carefully as we head into the February period. Um, anyway, I'm really happy about this budget. It was a really rational process, really well handled. I want to thank, even though she's not here, she's probably never going to listen to a council meeting again. I want to thank Councilmember Drosty again for being on the committee and her helpful comments um, and getting us on track on Measure P. So, um, you know, that's all to say, I think we're doing a really, a really, really good job on this. Um, the one comment I, I did make at budget committee is about the way this is presented is a little bit um, off for me because we get down to that 2.5 million and that's considered excess equity. 
But what's included above that, before we get to that, is $700,000 in new requests from the city manager. I don't think those requests should be separated from our requests. It sets up this false us versus them budget. There's what we have in the budget, there's carry forwards, and then there's new requests wherever they came from. So I've asked Ms. Fredrickson in the next budget not to separate them that way and really show the excess equity is 3.2. This is what the city manager is recommending. This is what council is asking for. And that'll just make it clearer what we're actually doing. But again, really, really big improvements in the whole budget process. So thank you very much for that. Councilmember. Councilmember Hahn. Thank you. I also um, am pleased with the, the budget as it was brought forward and appreciate all the work um, of city staff and um, the uh, budget committee in uh, bringing, bringing this to us and thank the mayor as well for all the work he and his office do. Because um, I know um, folks in his office also really do a lot of great analysis to support the budget process. So I just want to shout out for that. Um, I actually really, I have a couple of questions that really just flow more from the presentations and they're not really specific to the adoption of this budget, which I support as presented. Um, my first question is, uh, the Rescue Act funds are running out. We've had our, our last bit. Um, we are also making aggressive plans to try to fill our vacancies, which will reduce our excess equity. Um, and I'm wondering what the plan is to meet the squeeze or the cliff that we may be coming upon, or is there perhaps no cliff that we are expecting because we see the underlying tax base rebounding? I'm just a little worried about what happens. Are we planning um, and projecting for the, the sort of the landing of this bumpy time that we're in where we were buoyed by federal funds um, and essentially, you know, quote unquote, helped out from a budget perspective, obviously harmed from other perspectives by having so many vacancies. If, if uh, the budget director could just speak to that. What are we planning or what are we thinking? Yeah, um, I, I would take that. We we do oh, a five-year we do a five year projection. Yeah. Oh, we do a five-year projection um, that talks about the revenues and we actually do them at the end of the once we do the once we close the half year report in, in, in January, like um, Council Member Harrison just said, we are going to do a projection, a new projection for fiscal year 23. And then we're gonna do a five-year projection that shows you where we think we're going to go using the trend lines. When we did FY, FY23 budget, we actually um, cloud down a little bit of our uh, revenues because we knew there was no way we were going to get another 20, 20 something million dollars in our transfer tax. So there's a 20, 25% drop in our revenues that we've already taken account of in fiscal year 23. So we already, we already putting that in our, in our forecast that we are not going to have this robust, like you said, there's so many things happening in the world. We have 
uh, uh, interest rates go, going up, which is affecting all the all this stuff that we're doing. We have a huge spike in um, in um, 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 inflation that the Fed is trying to, to to stop and making sure they, they because they think the economy is still is, is going too fast into bring it down. So. We knew that, and so when we did uh, fiscal year twenty three budget, we 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 saw that coming, and we put that in there. Now we're going to build on that. Once once we get half of the report in the year, we're going to now look at that again and say, okay, where are we now based on all these things that is happening, and come up with a five year projection. You are absolutely right. We we talk, we we breathe, we eat this kind of stuff. We're like, what do we need to do within the for the five year project to make sure we are living within our means? When we when we send you numbers, they are good. We can we the assumptions are accurate and we can change them with nimble. And if we have anything to do, we will come back to you and, and, and make the changes. And if I can add on to Henry's comments, um, this is City Manager D. Williams Ridley. Um, one of the things we did early on pre-pandemic, when we start seeing that our revenues and we were projecting, um, we set out a list of principles with council. We listed a number of principles that we would look at in the event that we were faced with huge reductions that we needed to look at across the city. And we will revisit those, update them, determine if those still fit um, what council um, has in mind, and also staff recommendations. Um, we'll bring those forward and look at those. The other piece that we talked about doing some time ago is working directly with our labor groups, um, having some direct conversations with them about their ideas about how to address any, any reductions or shortfalls, um, and of course, council. Um, the other piece is, is really monitoring our revenues and how they're, as, as Henry has stated, and how they're trending. Because what I don't want to do is call wolf, right? When there's no wolf, but we want to be as close to accurate as we possibly can be when it comes to projecting. It's hard to project, um, especially expenditures. It's a little um, easier to project, I think, revenues because you have these benchmarks that you can use. You know, you can use a moderate approach or a conservative approach or uh, most likely approach. But um, for for us, we're we're trying to. We will start as we get our our projections from Henry in early um, 2023, that's when it will trigger what we need to be looking at and doing as a city. I have to have numbers in order to approach qu questions and conversations with folks. So once we get those numbers, we'll have to start down those processes, looking at principles, having conversations, talking about what we need to do and what our number is that we need to tackle. I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Council Member Hahn, for your question. Yeah, I do appreciate, um, and I know we do that every year. We every year we we get the best data we can, and we make projections. It just seems to me um, that we have some unusual uh, circumstances that are really obvious and big, and that we ought to be making explicit plans. Um, I mean, maybe we think the number. Maybe maybe we're looking at. At those two things and we're pretty confident that we're not going to have to uh, make big adjustments but um i i don't know without with even without seeing the numbers it looks to me like there's some big forces here that are going to come to play and i you know january is not that far off i look forward to seeing it but to me it does not look like next year is going to be a routine year um 
So, uh, so my next question um, goes to this transfer tax um, issue. The, the transfer tax is mentioned in a number of different places. Um, I'd like to better understand, um, I guess maybe I, I'm asking if you have the information now for, and, and if so, I'd like to have it, and certainly in the future, it'd be really helpful, I think, to break out the difference between um, what is baseline transfer tax and what transfer tax revenues are attributable to the measure P surtax. And I would like to see where are those surpluses being generated um, and not have those lumped together. And, and part of that is because we have made a representation to the public that we are going to be using Measure P money for homeless matters. And last I saw, we still had a big homeless problem. And I want to make sure that we are not going to be digging into money that the public gave us for those purposes to fill other needs. I also do think we need to think about smoothing with Measure P. I do think it's going to be volatile. It certainly was has been much higher than our prudent projections ever projected for the last few years, and I agree that it may go down significantly with interest rates where they are. But I guess I just would like to be able to see better when we say we have a transfer tax surplus of you know X amount and transfer tax this and that. It, it just for me, they're two separate categories of transfer tax, and we have different Page 15 of the um, report for item 22 includes a table that says general fund revenue transfer in FY22 versus 21 comparison. And they break down the different revenue categories and they do separate out general the property transfer tax from property transfer tax measure P, the additional 1.5%. And it shows the budgeted versus actual and the percentage differential between those. So. Are you asking for something more beyond that, or is that is that the information you're seeking? I, I'm just asking that when we have a presentation like this to the council, that that be included as well, and that we we discuss them as separate categories and not conflate them. I mean, technically, it's one category, um, but we do for kind of accounting purposes do separate out so people understand what the variance is between the additional one and a half percent and the revenues that are received. But your, I think but your it's, I think it's important whenever I get my my I guess my point is that when we are discussing transfer tax, I think we should always differentiate between the base transfer tax and the measure P generated transfer tax surplus. We have very different policies that relate to how we use. We have a very strict policy for how we use the base um, transfer tax. And then we have some uh, commitments that we've made or rec uh, representations that we've made to the public about the rest. That's, that's my point. It, I'd like it to be separated out. I, I um, like like the mayor is saying yes. We we would we'll make sure when we do the presentation, it's separated. But it is it, we we track them separately, both financially, 
put in the books, the general ledger, everything's separate, separate, separate. And we track them in terms of um, um, when we do the report, but the presentation did not combine them. We could, we can do that. That's, a, that's an easy, that's an easy ask. You can do that. Great. I appreciate that. Um, on the reserves, um, how much more do we need to fully replenish the reserves? Where are we on that? I, I, my recollection was that by adopting the, with the allocations that we committed to making in fiscal 23 and fiscal 24, right, Madam City Manager, we replenished the, the 11 million that we took out of the reserves in 2020. Um, correct, but I, I think what the um, council member may be getting at is our goals and what we were looking to achieve over years. And are we on target? To achieve those, and if not, when will we be? I think that's kind of where she was going. I'm not sure if that was your question. I, yeah, I appreciate that. I'm basically asking, yes, for an accounting. You know, we we're told we're putting this much in, and that's fabulous. But I'd like to see the kind of the running balance, and um, you know, vis-a-vis -vis our replenishment or our commitments, and where we want to be with our. Are you talking about the thirty percent goal? Yes. Yeah, I think that would be helpful if we can kind of get a sense of with the what's what we've allocated and what we've committed to allocate, where are we at? Or I think are we at twenty percent? Are we at eighteen percent? Because I think we've now really understood the value of having um robustly funded reserves. Um and thank God we uh put the reserves in place and, and diligently funded them before the pandemic. I don't think we could ever have imagined how soon we would need them. But um, given that we've learned that, I'm very eager to see us aggressively fund reserves. Because I also think the next few years we might have sort of protracted um, you know, financial downturn and we have a category of reserves that is intended to help us in those situations as well. So thank you. I, maybe maybe that can be presented, you know, in January or something. That's yeah. all. And my last, my, my last, a very small question. Uh, just Council Member um, Harrison raised the hotel tax um, and mentioned that the new hotel now opens. Um, can someone just refresh my memory? I know there were so many back and forth about how we were going to work with that hotel over their transfer taxes. And I remember there was a deal where they were gonna be refunded a portion or they were only gonna pay half or something. Uh, and I'm just curious, um, are we receiving 100% of the transfer tax? Are we receiving 50% What or zero because it's the first 12 years? I'm really just not remembering and if someone could just refresh my memory on that. We we went into agreement with them and we are going to do we do a rebate of the TOT tax in order for them to be able to meet their 2.1 thresholds for their financials. Um, so the deal in a, in a sense is whatever the uh, the TOT tax they were supposed to pay to, to us, they're supposed to use that to we do that to use the rebate to pay some of the things that they needed to do. And they've been paying. We we're actually meeting with them, um, the the team, the TOT team from finance having meeting with them we have the schedule the payment schedule we're looking at all of them so we i think 
what what it what it is now is we are getting about maybe fifty percent, and there's a threshold, the amount, and we're doing uh, when we think it will be it will be we will be able to get all the money back in, and so that is the conversation we're having. But they are actually paying us the TOT tax; they we're actually getting money back. Okay, one. but does that get allocated towards like uh, fees that we waived and things like that, or does that go yeah. into Yes, some of them are being, there's $11 million, I think, in um, permit fees that they need to pay. They paid about $6 million of that. So the first thing is to make that whole pay back permit fees. And so we, we, we work with all the departments to make sure we are capturing all the money that needs to be paid before it comes to the general fund. So we're getting all the money, we're paying permit fees, all these fees, inspection fees. I I never knew we had that much fees, but I, I was thinking the whole money was coming to finance, but it's all going out to all these departments. Fire is like, they owe us this. So we're going through all those fees and then we pay them back. After, after we pay everybody back, then the money start comes back into the general fund. So we are actually working on that. We have a huge, um, a huge, um, 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 fee fee schedule that, that that they're working off, and I think it's it's like Councilmember Harrison said, they they actually making. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a fantastic deal. Without our deal, there would not be a hotel. There, it was no brainer. Council did the perfect thing because we knew we needed to do that just for them to be able to do what they needed to do. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not questioning the deal. I was just curious how it's playing out and whether we actually are you know, getting uh, strong revenues or if we're still in a phase where those revenues get allocated, you know, have been sort of pre-allocated. But maybe that's something we can also have a little update on in the future. We don't need to spend more time on it. All right. Thank you. You can do that. Those were all my questions. Okay, we'll go next to Councilor Kisterwani. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, I know it's getting late and actually, so I, I feel great that we have, it sounds like based on uh, Councilmember Hahn's line of questioning, just to confirm, we have replenished what we withdrew from the reserve during the pandemic. Sounds like we made that uh, replenishment, correct? We will when we adopt the fiscal 24 budget. That, that, oh, okay. So we still have a, a, a few million more to do. Uh, th that is that is correct, uh, Council Member. Uh, oh, okay. We have uh, 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 currently, uh, uh, with the uh, adjustment of the uh, additional excess uh, equity uh, of uh, the additional one point five to reserve, we have seven million uh, for twenty three, and we do have the remaining four million uh, uh, already included in the adopted fiscal year 24 budget. Uh, so uh, in response to your, your question, and the mayor is correct, by fiscal year 24, if we stay on track, we'll uh, replenish the 11 million uh, that we uh, borrowed uh, from the reserves. Okay, well, I think that's a positive uh, development with this, I guess, good news budget update. <laughs> I don't know what to call it, but, um, so I guess overall, actually, Ms. Friedrichsen, this presentation tonight, I didn't see this one posted for the budget committee. Uh, it sounds like it was presented there. So I just wanted to request that these slides, um, whether they could be, if they could be posted either at this for this council meeting or if they were presented at the budget committee, if they could be posted there so we can uh, look back at these slides um, 
that would be helpful because overall what I what I was gathering from this and tell me if I've got the the big picture right um revenues were higher than expected mostly because the transfer tax is volatile and these um high value properties sold and it's very it sounds like it's just very hard to predict and so, so that's what's basically happening on the revenue side uh, that is correct and i i know our, our okay. finance uh, director uh, can also weigh in but again uh primarily the property transfer tax and then some of those other uh, various revenues uh you know, incrementally came in stronger to sales tax, business tax, TOT. But again, uh, there are some uh, particular anomalies in fiscal year uh, 22 related to the uh, sale, both the volume and the price uh, that really uh, uh, caused fiscal year 22 to perform uh, better than expected. And again, I know that our finance director can uh, further speak to that. Okay. Big picture. Big picture. Yeah. You're fine. You're fine. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So, and but but then I think the the other piece is that our expenditures are down primarily because of the staffing crisis that the city manager talked about. So, so this is my other question in terms of our budgeting, and I think Council Member Harrison may have brought this up that our vacancy assumption when we were doing the budget. Well, first, can you remind me what was our vacancy assumption? It was, previously, it was 3% pre previously. We would assume a 3%. Okay. Um, so, we, yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes, we increased that this last time, and I think it was average of 8%, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Uh, oh, okay. So we, we had it at 3%, maybe historically, which is very low. I, I don't know of any um, government, local jurisdiction that has a vacancy rate that low, that is very low, you know, I've never heard of a vacancy rate that low, but, but, um, so then we increased it to 8%, still actually pretty low based on those actual, uh, actual vacancy rates that the city manager is showing now. So I think for this upcoming budget, I think that's going to be a very important question. What are we going to assume with our vacancy rate? Um, that's what's causing us to, uh, I, I guess, I, I don't actually fault us for not, I, I'm not actually faulting you for anything, but I think it is very hard to predict the, um, when the revenue is very volatile, like this transfer tax, I just think it's very hard to predict and you're better off probably underestimating it. And then if you have more, you can put it towards things like replenishing the reserve or capital or what have you. But, but I do feel that on our expenditures, um, you know, arriving at a realistic vacancy rate is very important so that we, um, you know, we just uh, are uh, not seeing such a, such a large um, change then, I guess, from, from what we've budgeted to what, to what actually ends up happening. So, so that was my only thought there is, is that we maybe we have to do some more thinking about um, what our what our vacancy assumption will be moving forward. And I, I think the the next item is about liabilities in terms of uh, not this item. I think there's another item tonight about um, pension liabilities and infrastructure need because I think that yeah. is where 
um, my my head is going in terms of our budgeting because I I know we had a, a major accomplishment in this budget of of trying to adequately fund street paving, which we thought was 15 million with the hope that Measure L would pass. And now post-election, um, unfortunately, we don't have, you know, the 200 and some odd million to catch up on deferred street maintenance. And so I, I want the public to know, and I'll remind the council, the 15 million still leads to a decline in pavement condition. It, what it assumed, the 15 million only maintained your pavement condition if you had 200 million plus to catch up on the deferred maintenance. So I think we we still have more work to do to adequately fund this baseline service of, of street paving. And um, I, I think we, we have to figure out how we can do it and um and part of that i think is being realistic about what our vacancy rate actually is and i don't know uh, mr oyakami if there's any refinement we that you are that you're thinking about for the revenues because i i know that those are tricky uh do you have any any thoughts on the revenue forecast um we, we would have um we just closed the first quarter so the, the the only thing we have for 2023 is the first quarter numbers. And so we we can do trending on, on just one quarter. So, but once we close the second quarter, we will have an idea where the revenues are. But in the budget that we did for 23, we knew we weren't going to have, we thought we weren't going to have this robust real estate market because the Fed started raising rates in March and April. And so we already knew it, there was going to be a break. They were going to try and, and deal with, with the with the um, inflation that we knew what they were going to do. So when we did when we passed when the council passed the budget, there was a 25% drop in whatever we said it was going to be. And I think we, when I closed, when, when I read the, the analysis for the first quarter, we are we are exactly where we said we were going to be, about 22% down from the high of 2022. So we think that was what we were, the assumption that we made for 23. So I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident about that assumption is, is getting there now. So we've already knew that it was going to be a little bit of a drop off in our revenues. So when we passed the budget in 23, we, I think we already made that that assumption. Oh, okay. So are you saying um, kind of like with the fiscal year um, 22, that the, the those higher inflation rates are not really in there because it, it, it takes some time for those to be, to have an effect. Yes. And, and so, so now we're going to start seeing that you're saying as we move forward yes. into the next, into the next fiscal year. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Alrighty, because uh, yeah, the other thought I have is, you know, I, I saw that the state is forecasting um, a deficit, and they're going to have yes. they're going to dip into their reserve, meaning that yes. there may not be the state resources. Um, we were very fortunate earlier tonight to be able to allocate 15 million from the state. You know, things like that, I think, are are not not going to be happening for us. Um, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, it, in, at least in this as this upcoming fiscal year. So we just have to know that we are um, we we need to just be cognizant of of that and and just do the best we can with with the resources that we have locally. So I, I think that's all I have for now. Thank you very much, and I, I thank the mayor for his recommendations. I think they're very reasonable and um, fun.
fund some important priorities, but also um, are cautious uh, with uh, with you know some unknowns moving forward. So so that's all I have. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, I'll just note that with the um, the cost shift of the three hundred twenty-seven thousand to Measure P, we would have an unallocated general fund balance of one point three million if we adopt these adjustments. And I think that's really important because the city manager had noted in her report and in the presentation of the budget committee that there are some unknown costs potentially in the future around CalPERS increases and potential um, uh, settlements that we need to make around uh, payments for employees. There may be, you know, there may be capital expenditures we need to make. And so we need to have some cushion as well. And so this would also ensure that we have a cushion. Uh, Councilor Robinson. Thank you, Ms. Friedrichson, for the presentation. Uh, and to you, Mr. Oyakami, and the whole team for your work on this budget update. It's a lot to feel optimistic about in this AAO. Uh, milestones and important programs and good numbers largely spoken to by the report. Um, really appreciate the discussion that's ongoing here and has been at the committee about better tracking budget referrals, both from the staff side and from council. And really want to thank Mayor Ergin and the uh, members of the budget committee for their work on this. But tonight, I really want to use my time just to express my deep gratitude to the Public Works Department and to this City Council for our commitment to closing the funding gap for Southside Complete Streets. Make no mistake, this $1 million allocation that we're making tonight from Excess Equity may save this project. It's a project that's been a long time coming, but is in jeopardy due to rising construction costs. Uh, to illustrate the issue, I want to reiterate Years ago, we received this grant, it's federal monies allocated by the county uh, for this redesign of Bancroft, Dana, Fulton, and Telegraph. Since then, we have removed Telegraph from the scope of that project as we now initiate a new design process for a bigger vision for that street. And even still, the existing grant that we've received is still not enough just to deliver Bancroft, Dana, and Fulton. There is still a multi-million dollar funding gap because of the increases in construction costs. That's what this item is about. This $1 million allocation from excess equity provides a major alley-oop to our public works staff who are working to close the gap on deadline. And in doing this, we deliver on a project that's been in the pipeline for years. We make good on commitments that we made to our residents in our paving plan. We make good on our commitment to increase investments in the condition of our streets. And we respond to the tragedy that struck just a few weeks ago when William Evans was killed by a truck driver at Bancroft and Shattuck, which will receive safety treatments as part of this plan. We have deadlines to go to contract for the project in early 2023, and we know that not closing the gap by then would kill the project, which is not a hypothetical. Uh, colleagues, you may have seen news in October that San Francisco recently had to return $15 million in regional grant funding for the Better Market Street project because they could not meet project deadlines. The future of that project is now uncertain, but we will tell a different story in Berkeley. So thank you to my colleagues uh, and to all the neighbors and students and advocates who have fought for mobility improvements, safety improvements, and beautification in the neighborhoods of the campus. I'm uh, very excited by all the moves we'll make in this budget update tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll go next to Councilmember Bartlett. Uh, 
Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. It is getting late, but I just want to just on behalf of uh, my district, I want to thank you uh, and the team on behalf of um, your, your generosity. It's a tight budget, but we were able to get help for the seniors at Harry Tubman uh, and also uh, the merger of arts and equity and economic development over at La Pena. Very grateful, very thankful. Um, and also, even though it's not quite my district, uh, we are affected by the intersection in Addison and in Mulcahy and grateful for the work over there. Uh, so I want to thank you very much. Thank you. We'll go next to Council Member Weingraff. Um, thank you very much. Um, I, I just want to uh, reiterate and follow up on what Council Member Hahn and Council Member Kesawani have have said about the reserve fund. Um, I think it's great that we are uh, getting back to where we were, but we should be going beyond that. Um, you know, because that's where we were three years ago. So um, I would like to advocate for putting as much as possible into the reserve fund uh, whenever we have um, excess equity and really building up that, both the catastrophic and the stability reserve fund. Um, if you're talking about a cushion, that that is our ultimate cushion. And, and I think it's really important. Um, in terms of the transfer tax, it's really quite amazing how much money that transfer tax is generating. And, and I would be very interested in seeing, and I don't know if you have this data, but I would be very interested in seeing a breakdown of the types of properties that are generating uh, X amount of dollars. So, you know, is it is it the large commercial buildings that are generating that money? Is it single family homes? Um, you know, where is that money actually coming from? I think for us to understand that would be quite useful. And I don't I don't know if you have the that that information or not uh, but if it if it could come back to us in the form of an information report maybe uh, that would be great I would appreciate it and I want to thank everybody for all their work on this um, and um, as we move forward I hope I hope that we continue to be as responsible fiscally as we have been in in the past many years thank you Thank you very much. Okay, back to Vice Mayor Harrison, and then I'm going to put a motion on the floor and we'll go to public comment. Okay, just very briefly, I agree with these comments on reserves, but I also want to put in a strong pitch for funding the 115 trust because that's where we really save money. Every dollar we put in there reduces our CalPERS amount, and we're going to get a report in a minute about that, the deficit that we still face in unfunded liabilities. So that's always a trade-off for me. I feel like we're doing really well on reserves and not as well on the 115 right now. So, you know, we made a lot of progress in reserves and we're not doing as well on that. So just, I'd like to ask that we keep that in mind as we think about where to put any excess funds we might have. Thank you. Yeah, those are all really excellent points. Um, and I do think that if the information that Council Rahana requested around with, with, the, with the allocations that we are approving tonight and we're gonna approve in the June budget, what does that get us towards reaching that 30% goal? Because we set a goal in 2017 when we adopted the policy of trying to have 30% um, general fund revenues as, a, as our reserves. 
and be helpful to understand where we're at and then maybe be, think about, you know, maybe how much would we need to allocate over the next few years to get to that 30% goal. Um, so that, um, I think that's something we should definitely discuss. Maybe we get, um, we dive into the June budget discussions, which are going to start very soon. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to begin the preparations for the, any adjustments you need to make to the fiscal 24 budget. And we'll start that whole process in, I think, March, February, March at the Budget and Finance Committee. Um, and then, um, but the Section 115 trust, I do agree, it's an area that does need some attention because we're seeing significant um, variations of what we anticipated that CalPERS returns would be and what they actually are. And that is going to mean that um, that public agencies have to pay a lot more um, because the discount rates are going to change. And um, this is an issue that public agencies that pay into CalPERS are going to be dealing with over the next few years. So that's, I think, one un... And I know that's something that we'll get into when we get the unfunded liabilities report from the actuary, but that's one thing that we're just going to have to really prepare for. And the trust does help provide some some resources to help deal with rate fluctuations, and we know there are going to be rate fluctuations. But at the same time, it's going to, it's going to be something we're going to have to account for when we're planning the, these budgets over the next few years. And I recall, I think, Madam City Manager, when we were developing the 23-24 budget, that we did a five-year projection, and I think it's probably somewhere in the budget book, um, and it was not a pretty picture in the out years. No, not at all. Um, but one of the things I do want to counsel for, though, is that we have been allocating on a consistent basis dollars to our unfunded liabilities. We've been using um, revenue from um, our prepayment of PERS. Um, if you recall, we, we take that money and dump it right into that 115 trust. And if you remember, we did a presentation some years back that talked about depositing around 4.9 or 4, and Henry can help me out here, but it was around $4 million is what they thought we should be depositing into um, savings or some type of trust fund. And, and I think we've been meeting, getting pretty close, if not meeting that, um, that threshold as we've been moving forward. So I, I just have to applaud council for that, and as well as the reserves. I think we, before I make a motion, we did adopt a policy, a fiscal policy, in June when we adopted, but we amended our fiscal policies yeah. to allocate a certain portion um, of, of, and I think it was interest income and um, yes. uh, as well some general funds, so we can get that I think four and a half million goal. Um, so that is, I think, a fiscal policy and something that will just bake into our budget planning prospectively, but there's always no harm in trying to put a little bit more in. Absolutely. Um, um, that so is something with, our finance director pushed really hard with yes. me in our budget discussions is more money to be here, more money into our reserves, more money into our um, unfunded liabilities. So yes, um, thank you um, for all of this feedback. Um, we really do appreciate it. So in the interest of time, I'd like to make a motion to adopt item 23 as revised in supplemental packet two. Um, that includes the revised adjustments as recommended by the Budget and Finance Committee. Um, I think that that's, that's 
that should be sufficient, right, uh, Ms. Friedrichson? That is correct, Mayor. Okay, so I put that motion on the floor. Second. Okay, seconded by uh, Councilor Robinson, third by Councilor Wengraff. Okay, so a motion on the floor. We'll now move to public comment on items 22 and 23. So if you wish to speak on either items 22 or 23, please raise your hand at this time, and we welcome your comments, and thank you for waiting patiently. Um, so we'll go first to Ilana Auerbach, and we'll allot two minutes per speaker. If we need to extend a little bit, we can do that. Um, given that we're taking comment on two items, let's do two minutes. So um, I guess I'd like to ask, are there any speakers in the boardroom that would like to speak first on, before we go to the Zoom speakers on items 22 or 23? Yes, Ms. Morasset. So glad that we're doing another Project Home Key project. It's, it's the right way to go. I mean, it's the right model. It's the right way to go towards supportive housing. And I have confidence that as time progresses, we'll work out the kinks in it. Um, and as you've heard me say many times forward, uh, I hope that when we move ahead with the budget, we do establish a crisis stabilization center and a domestic violence transition house. But this is it's the right way to go. So thanks for the effort. Bye. Thank you. Okay, we'll now go to Ilana Auerbach. All right, um, I'm just gonna ask you to please do not fund the city manager's request of $208,000 to be used for police recruitment and retention. Out of their budget is $87 million. You all were talking earlier, um, oh, about the SCU. We, we were mentioning um, back in summer of 2020, when all of you, with the exception of two, voted to have a goal to reduce the police budget by 50%. That hasn't even remotely happened. It has just continued to skyrocket. Fiscal year 23, the budget is $87 million. So you're telling me they can't find $200,000 in $87 million to use for recruitment and retention. Find that really, really hard to believe. As you well know, this department is currently ensnared in a scandal. This is not the time to give them more money. This is the time to audit, to investigate. And I know there are two investigations at least going on right now, but also there, and I mentioned this earlier, there has yet to be a police staffing assessment or beat structure analysis. We actually have no reliable data to determine how many officers we actually need. So what we do know is that now is definitely not the time, not the moment to give more money to BPD. Um, there was an, an article that just came out today and you all just keep kicking this can down the road. Oh, we're gonna do something. Oh, you know, sometime we're gonna do something now. You can do something now. It may seem like a pittance, but it will make a big difference. You can provide some accountability. And I know it's difficult, but now is the time to provide a, some accountability and don't just green light more money to the cops whenever it's asked. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Rebecca Mirvish, followed by Kelly Hambergen. I can you shush. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, 
Wait, sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, Rebecca, we can hear you. You're 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 up to speak. Hi, sorry about that. Um, good evening. Okay, what are you there? Yeah. My name is Rebecca Mervish and I'm a Cal student or president of the people. And I'm speaking about Sorry, I'll speak again at later. Okay, thank you. We'll come back to you. Um, all right, uh, Kelly Hambergen followed by Brandon Young. Kelly, you should not be able to speak. Okay, thank you. Um, and I do appreciate Alina Auerbach's um, comments, uh, but I just wanted to say that uh, I'm disappointed that we couldn't fund that $50,000 to work on the website uh, the, and that that's postponed until the next budget time. It, it, you know, it's not a huge amount and there are continuing problems with finding data on the website. So that's it. Thank you very much. Kelly, the, the city manager had, um, I, I forgot to mention this, uh, said at the budget committee that she's going to cover those expenses out of her salary savings in her budget. Okay, so we'll get it done. That would be great. Okay, thank you. Um, Brandon Young, followed by Todd Andrew. Hi, Council. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello, my name is Brandon Young. I'm a District 2 constituent, and I would like to speak on behalf of Telegraph for People. Um, first of all, thanking the mayor so much for your awesome recommendation um, to include almost a million dollars for the Southside Streets improvements. Um, a budget is really a document of priorities, and we're really, really happy to see the city, you know, putting more uh, effort behind improving streets where the students live. Um, and then lastly, I would just like to um, support using LRDP settlement money for uh, telegraph improvements later on. Thank you so much. That was all. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll go next to Todd Andrew, followed by Natalia. Hi, Mr. Mayor. Thank you so much uh, and council members. And uh, I just want to take a brief moment to congratulate Mark Humbert on his uh, victory. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what you can do, Mark. Um, on the budget issue, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Mayor and Rigel, for um, emphasizing and supporting the um, Southside project. And thank you, Council Member uh, Kesserwani, for homing in on one of the primary responsibilities of municipal government, which is streets. The other of which is public safety, and that, I, I admit, some of this budget stuff is arcane for me. I don't really understand it, but to me, it seems like if the, depart the police department has 178 budgeted officers and they're down 30, uh, about 20 of less of which are actually on the street due to uh, disability and other leaves, uh, we aren't really asking people to spend more than um, is budgeted already for the police on... Uh, retention and recruiting, am I correct on that? I mean, I don't really understand and I know this isn't a conversation, but I am hoping that you can help to shed light in your discussion on this, on the whole budget process in Berkeley. I'm looking at a document that says, 
we had revenues of $264 million and expenditures of $236 million in fiscal year 22, which is an excess of $28 million. And there was a balance of $20 million to begin for a total of $47 million. Yet somehow that's whittled down to 2.5 uh, <laughs> in the end. And I just said, I admit, I don't totally understand why it's whittled down that way, but I would hope that you can try to, in your public comments discussing the budget, make it a little clearer to those of us in the community who don't understand how that $45 million drop happens, and also focus on primary municipal responsibilities. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Natalia, followed by John Ho. Natalia, you should now be able to speak. Hi there, Mr. Mayor and all the um, council members. Um, it is very late, so I'm going to try to make this quick. But, um, you know, my name is Natalia Neira. I'm La Peña Cultural Center's Executive Director. Um, if you're not aware, La Peña is a historic multicultural hub in South Berkeley um, that serves as a bridge building uh, advocacy center for diasporic communities, artists, activists, and allies since 1975. Lepeña has given its, um, the first stage to a lot of artists, uh, primarily artists of color here. And it was so nice to meet with um, council member, uh, member Terry Taplin, who's not here on the call anymore, because I actually just found out that Lepeña was his first stage where he read poetry um, a, a while back. I'm not gonna get, say how, how long. <laughs> and, um, so um, it's just really nice to see that, you know, we are um, an institution that, you know, um, has been doing really great work in the community. And um, I want to thank our council member, Ben Bartlett, for um, sponsoring the budget referral to support this and, and the mayor for um, recommending it under the annual appropriations ordinance changes. Um, also, just a shout out to council member Kesarwani for taking the time to meet with us. A week ago, and uh, Council Member Robinson for also taking time to take our calls. Um, so this month, we are celebrating one year of reopening and revitalizing our programming after having to close during the COVID-19 pandemic for over a year. And since then, we've served over 10,000 people since reopening. So um, we are in a definite period of recovery and growth. Um, however, you know we have hit this roadblock in this reopening journey due to the um, just in incredible increase in rising costs um, due to inflation um, in um, uh, not only the, um, uh, all of the um, construction costs, but also the price of uh, equipment. Uh, we own our building. And um, we have fundraised twice over the years now, uh, for the last few years, to keep up with the rising costs of supplies and labor due to the inflation. And we have raised $435,000, which is a really large amount of money for the size of organization that we are. Um, so we have definitely done our due diligence. We've also secured the permits to begin on construction this year so that we can get back to business fully. Um, however, when our most recent bid came in, it was 45% higher than the estimated amount just months ago. So bringing the project costs to be $177,000 more than we had um, estimated that it would be. 
With the city's aid, however, um, with that $150,000 ask, La Peña can begin the necessary repairs and thrive again in this post-pandemic environment. Um, so if we cannot break ground, you know, this year, the negative economic impacts on La Peña, its employees, um, our tenant restaurant partner, the artists that we serve and the communities that we serve will be really disastrous. Um, so, um, you know, thank you to everybody here who's taking the time to read our letters. And, um, you know, if you have anything, any questions or anything like that, please do let me know. But we're really grateful for the city support right now. Like we couldn't be, this is really the time for you to support La Peña. So um, thank you for your consideration. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to John Ho and back to Re Rebecca Mirvish. Good evening, Mr. Mayor and Council Members. I'm John Ho, parent of a UC Berkeley student. I strongly urge you, Mr. Mayor and all Council Members, to support the allocation of 200 and 7,000 for the Berkeley Police Department to help strengthen their recruitment and retention efforts. It will make Berkeley much safer to the residents as well as the students and staff of UC Berkeley. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. We'll go next to Rebecca Mirvish, followed by Jeff. Rebecca, back to you. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Hi, sorry about earlier. Um, we were really excited about this item. So we're all watching this meeting together and I got a little distracted. My name is Rebecca Mervish and I'm a Cal student and the president of Telegraph for People and I'm speaking on behalf of Telegraph for People. First of all, I wanna sincerely thank the mayor and the budget committee for your recommendation to allocate $1 million to help close the Southside Complete Streets funding gap. I'm a resident of DA, but I used to live at one of the most dangerous intersections um, that will be made so much safer by this project. I know that this is a significant amount of money, but it's crucial to not lose the $7 million of matching grant funding. This project will obviously benefit everyone who lives and works in D7 or at UC Berkeley, but it will also benefit the whole Berkeley community. By prioritizing the construction of the Southside Complete Streets project, the council will find Finally, signal that you care about the safety and well-being of your constituents and that you're willing to take strong climate action that we can't wait any longer for. Thank you, Mayor Argyne, for looking into getting funding from the LRDP settlement. As students, we will keep applying pressure until we have a car-free telegraph. And thank you to Councilmember Robinson for your leadership and dedication to this project. Good night. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Jeff. Jeff, you should now be able to speak. Great, thank you. Good evening, Mayor and Council. And, you know, I just wanna hope I'm not sort of, this isn't the calm before the storm and um, don't wanna come off as wishing for bad news. But in terms of the discussion, I just wanna elaborate with what I think a, a couple of council members were alluding to um, in terms of the broader budget picture. Um, the, the difference between the expected and actual returns on the CalPERS side is kind of roughly going to be about 10 to 15 percent over the the fiscal year. So that's a 
a pretty significant gap that one has to be sensitive to. And certainly if I were an investor, I'd be hedging that that gap, knowing I've got something to make up there. In addition, in, in addition to the overall gap in terms of CalPERS return and future liabilities, I would encourage you to consider there's also the purchasing power protection allowance within um, these agreements, which automatically has in uh, allowances for inflation. And given we're in a high inflation period, that sort of compounds that um, liability side of the equation. So again, being very sensitive to that, perhaps that's in the next presentation about future liabilities. I don't know. It would have been good to have that beforehand. And then finally, just a second, um, Member Wayngraff's um, uh, comment about really um, unpacking the transfer tax revenue in terms of where that's coming from. That would be extremely helpful because it helps really determine sort of how we can forecast future revenues and, and where that's coming from. So um, thank you for that and looking forward to the further presentation if that's going to happen this evening. Yeah, one thing I think also that's relevant in that conversation before we go to Sam is the growth of our taxable square footage because it's not like we it's going to be static as we're building more housing and creating more commercial space. We're adding taxable square footage. And I think we had the highest increase of our tax roll of any jurisdiction in Alameda County this past year. That's another thing we have to look at and forecast as well. Um, we'll go, go next to Sam. Hi, Council and Mayor. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to speak. I just want to thank you, Mr. Mayor, for your prioritization of safe streets and the South Side Street project. Thank you so much, Councilmember Robinson, for your long-term work on this. Um, I was the former chair of the Youth Commission, and uh, a lot of young people spend a lot of time in this neighborhood, and their safety should be utmost in our, in our work uh, in this government. Um, so thank you all for your work, and I look forward to this passing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Are there any other attendees that wish to speak on either items 22 or 23? If so, please raise your hand now. This is the last call for public comment. Okay, I see we have one more attendee who wishes to speak, Sam Greenberg. Good, good evening, everyone. I just wanted to give a brief comment today thanking uh, the mayor for recognizing the importance of building and finishing Southside Complete Streets um, in the, fun the funding gap we found ourselves in recommending uh, $1 million. It's incredibly important that we you know, make sure we're able to um, use this federal grant money. Uh, Southside Complete Streets is going to be absolutely transformative. It's going to turn a district that is the first place that most, I mean, you know, many, many people um, live in that, that is that is walkable uh, in their lives. Um, you know, tens of thousands of Cal students, um, you know, come to Berkeley, you know, and, and, and it's the first the first time they get to experience what it's like um, to live life uh, without a car. And um, and that makes Southside so ripe to you know to to be a a haven for pedestrians, cyclists, transit riders, and the the Southside complete streets. You know, while we focus on Telegraph all the time, which you know I obviously have focused quite a lot on Telegraph, 
Um, it's also incredibly important to recognize how substantial uh, the work that we're going to be doing on Bancroft, Dana, and Fulton is. It's going to completely transform how so many people get around Southside, and it's going to be, it's going to make Southside one of the most bikeable and transit-friendly neighborhoods uh, in the entire Bay Area, or you know, and and solidify uh, its role as as a transit hub. So. Um, you know, I also wanted to, you know, second what was suggested by the mayor and, and you know, I know is partially in the works of um, of using uh, funds from the LRDP uh, to um, to to fully fund Southside Complete Streets further if needed, and also to fund um, more work on, on Telegraph, including making it car free uh, in the future from Haste to Bancrofts. Um, it's incredibly important that we make sure uh, that we're able to follow through on Southside Complete Streets. Uh, so I thank the mayor for in, you know including this uh, in his um, in in his uh, budget proposal, and I thank Councilmember Robinson for continuing to be persistent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, I do not see any other attendees that wish to speak on items 22 or 23. So thank you all for waiting patiently to, for us to get to these items and for your comments. We do have a motion on the floor just to adopt item 23, the FY23 annual appropriations ordinance amendment to incorporate the adjustments that were recommended by the budget and finance committee as noted in supplemental packet two. Um, is there any further discussion from members of the council before we proceed to a vote? Okay, seeing no raised hands, I'd like to ask the clerk to please call the roll on adopting item 23. Council member Kesterwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Member Wengraff still? Councilmember Wengraff on the motion for item 23. Uh, uh, Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Aragon? Yes. And Councilmember Wengrapp on the motion for the annual appropriations ordinance. Parker has absence for this. Yeah, if we're still in session, she comes back, we can oh, ask if she wants I, to record a she's vote. She's popping back up here. Okay. Uh, Councilmember Wengraff, well, this is uh, we're on the roll call for the motion on the the AAO um, to uh, to adopt. Yes. Uh, with the recommendations from the Budget Finance Committee. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Motion carries. Motion carries unanimously. Thank you, colleagues. Thank you, Ms. Friedrichson. Thank you, City Manager. Thank you, everyone who attended tonight for your comments. Um, so item 24 is actually, I ask that we place this on the agenda. This is a, a, a status report on the city auditor's audit on Berkeley's financial condition. This is a really important item um, and staff did provide a very important presentation. Given that it's 10.48 p.m., I wanted to suggest that perhaps we should table this to a future meeting so we can have a more robust discussion. Um, and I'd like to ask the city clerk, what is the agenda for the January 17th meeting look like? Is it crowded? Hard to know. We don't have all the items okay. um, in yet. Um, let me check the 
have a. I don't think there's a zap appeal. I just want to double check that. The housing element's going to get the it's going to be on day. the 18th. Uh, no, there's that's going on the 31st, but not on the 17th. Okay, if I may, I'd like to just suggest, given the lateness of the hour and the importance of this item, actually, because there are some specific recommendations that the city auditor and staff have presented around some of the very issues that we talked about around the Section 115 trust and pension costs and the reserves and the, cap, the capital improvement fund and the unfunded capital liability. Good. That uh, we uh, take, calendar this for a future meetings so we can have a discussion. Yes. The planning director did advise that the affordable housing um, oh, yeah. item is on the 17th. Yeah, that's right. But um, you know. Well, I'd like to make a motion to continue item 24 to the January 17th meeting. Okay. And if the agenda rules, we can look at the agenda and, and calendar it. I, perhaps this could be or you could early it. up on the action calendar so we can have a discussion about it. Um, you could refer to agenda and rules scheduling. If you make a motion now to put it on the 17th, you can't put agenda and rules. Yeah. Um, I would like, I think let's calendar for the 17th okay. and okay. we can we can have discussion at that time. And I know staff has a presentation I think it'd be good to have. So I'll, I'll move to continue item 24 to the January 17th, 2023 agenda. Is there a second? I'll second. Okay, thank you. So um, the question for the council is on the motion to continue item 24 to January 17th. Um, ask the clerk to please call the roll. Yes, member Kesarwani. Yes. Kaplan. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. On. Yes. Glengraff. Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Arrogate? Yes. Okay. okay, that motion does carry, so we will take up item 24 at our first meeting of 2023. So before we adjourn, I'd like to ask, is there any additional public comment on non-agenda matters from anyone that, that, that did not previously address the City Council? If so, please raise your hand. Okay, I see Jessica Prado. Um, uh, you should not speak. Yes. Can you hear me? Hi, I'm yes. just like uh, reaching out because I just like to let you guys know that there is no shelter available in Berkeley right now at all, not even in the county as well. So if you're living on house here, there's literally nowhere where people can go get warm tonight or ever. Uh, and really, like seriously, right now, like the windows of my recreational vehicle are frozen. And that's me living in a vehicle. So just imagine all the people that are living in tents that are just sitting in the park or in a bus stop, like people are freezing out. They really are freezing to death here. And there's only been very minimal resources that the city has actually provided for people. Like Tony Alcott came last week and he only provided like a pack of harm, uh, hand warmers to people, a pair of socks and gloves. And that's it. You know, that's all he had to offer. And I asked him if he had any other tools available. And he said that he does, but he doesn't even have the keys to the storage. So I suggest that the homeless response team actually starts providing resources to these people because there's about a million dollars that's being allocated to this team and they provide no resources at all. The only resources that, that they provide is actually enforcement. That's the only thing. And I actually, I know that because I also read public records that say that and that they are so actually clarifying that the, that they're providing is enforcement, not actually resources to people. Uh, so I suggest that we actually start, you know, providing 
emergency shelter, temporary solutions, anything to at least be able to like provide relief to people. There's a lot of people that live in the encampment at Aiden Harrison that are really mentally ill. They also like have problems with substance use. And we have these resources in Berkeley yet, they haven't even bothered to reach out people. So I really wanna ask like, you know, what are these resources? Because in, every time that I call the mental, uh, the, the mobile crisis team, nobody ever shows up. I have called many times. And the only time that like they showed up, it was just one cop. And he actually just triggered the person. If he didn't arrest them, it's because I told him that the person had a brain injury. So I feel like we also need to be have better treatment on how we address mental health crisis on the streets and just overall on how we address this emergency. Okay, thank you. Okay, we'll get to Todd Andrew. Hey, y'all. Um, I just want to say in this last official meeting of the year um, that despite the fact that you take so much criticism sometimes from me, I do appreciate you and um, all of your service and uh, the work that it takes. I think sometimes the criticism that you get is I don't know what the right word is, perhaps unfounded or misguided. And I just want to wish you all the happiest holidays. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you so much. Are there any additional attendees who wish to speak on an item not on the agenda that did not previously speak during the initial public comment period? Berkeley Cop Watch, you now be able to speak. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. <clears throat> I have to echo the, the uh, Jessica Prado's comments. Um, it's, it's, it's just incredibly difficult to get resources to people who need them, even still. I know you feel like you've done a lot. I know you feel like you've championed this and that, but these cold nights are pretty unforgiving. And to broadly communicate where people can go to get warm is, 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 should be a top priority. And if you can't mention, if you don't know, what would you recommend? And if you can't tell us where somebody can go, then that's a problem. That's a problem. And to assume that that's happening is, is wrong. And meanwhile, the homeless response team, the city manager and the police department continue to, uh, what can I say, be harassing of people for living outdoors and, and this notion of cleaning up encampments, um, it's a, yet another cruelty. So I, I guess I, I just, I, I, I'm, it, it pains me the idea that you're going to go off on break, go off on a holiday, and meanwhile, we're going to be stuck like, well, what do we do? So I, I hope you have some plan for that. I also want to comment on the city manager earlier tonight said that the contract with Apple the Apple store on 4th Street and the police department providing security for the Apple store, she said that had been ended. As of, as of a week ago, it had not. There was a cop continued to be stationed out there. And I still think it's important for us to find out what those contracts say and what actually happened there. Um, and this, this idea that the police are going to get $200,000 for what? For recruitment? And we, I mean, it's just painful to see the, the priorities and the misplacement of these priorities. That the 200,000, like it's, it's, it's expected that if you're giving out money to other city agencies, the police just get some. They don't even have to say how Thank they're- Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. Okay, I 
don't see any other raised hands from attendees that wish to speak on non-agenda matters. So with that, once again, we are so excited to have our new colleague, Councilmember Humbert, on the Berkeley City Council, and uh, we, we look forward to working with you um, over the next few years, and just so grateful for your willingness to step forward after your many years of community service to serve on this council and to bring your vision and leadership to make our city better. So we look forward to work with you in 2023. And just, I wanna note, as this is the last meeting of 2023 for the city council, thank you colleagues for all your hard work this past year. Um, wanna wish everyone, our staff, our, our colleagues in the public, a very happy holidays and best wishes for the new year. And with that, I'll make a motion to adjourn. Second. Seconded by Councilmember Humbert. Um, <laughs> Mr. Kurt, please call the roll. Councilmember Kesperwani. Yes. Kaplan. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. Hahn. Yes. Wengrat. Yes. Robinson. Yes. Humbert. Yes. And Mayor Arrigan. Yes. Okay. Okay, with that, we are adjourned. Everyone, once again, happy holidays and best wishes for the new year. See you in 2023. Happy holidays. Recording stopped.